Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Questlove, and you're listening to QLS Classic of all of our archived episodes. This is probably one of the most requested ones, and yeah, it's a wonder why. MC Search of Third Base is one of the best storytellers in hip-hop. I mean, he's the king of I was there, this happened to me. So many stories, man. So many stories. Yes, including the infamous Hammer. Uh, I'm not even going to spoil alert. Yo, from February 15th, 2017, this is the world-famous, long-awaited return of the MC Search episode of Questlove Supreme Classic. Hope you enjoy Wait, wait, stop, 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 stop. Yo, does everyone get traumatized with every hit the organ at the top of the song? Like, where's the one? Where's the one? There's never a one. We've never done that one. Relax. I know. Hello? All right, yoga, let's do it. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Here comes the pet. Yeah. It's Questlove. Yeah. Yeah. They would rather split. Yeah. Fonte. Yeah. I don't rock no perm. Yeah. Don't drink the milk. Yeah. Because it's sperm. Oh, oh. Oh. Sugar, yeah. I got the blues, yeah. but not tonight. Yeah. So many Jews. Valentine's Day. Yeah. I hope that you. Yeah. Got fucking laid. Oh, oh. Suprema. Su- su- 
getting better. Thank Suprema you. Roll call. Suprema, Suprema, roll call. My name is Search. Yeah. That big MC. Yeah. Fuck third base too. Yeah. Fuck vanilla ice too. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have ever said to yourself, I wish Amir would get to the point. I'm not even talking to the people out there, people that know me. For people that know, well, look at the room, just <laughs> and <laughs> thus smiling like a motherfucker. I'm going to tell you. Verbose. I'm going to tell you. For every long-winded, epic story I've ever typed, Instagrams be 25 gazillion <laughs> paragraphs. <laughs> True indeed. <laughs> you not having the heart to be like, all right, B, wrap it up. I get it. You don't have to paint the picture. I got that from one person. <laughs> That's a lie. One of the greatest. <laughs> no, it's I'm a saying, bald-faced lie. Like I'm saying, search. You are you are like my slick Rick. Uh, your your stories and your war stories and your experiences in hip hop culture are one of my favorite recollected stories ever. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome. MC Search. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Shout out to all the Jews in the building. <laughs> Finally, yeah, we, we, almost got, we almost got a minion in here. <laughs> Font is in here. Shalom Aleichem. <laughs> Shalom Aleichem. That's right. Mashallah Mech. We're, we're outnumbered Search. tonight. I'm so happy. Did you say you <laughs> no, I did the math. It's a tie, right? It's a tie for me. <laughs> You did the math. Yeah. He did the math. He's oh, the Jew. Jews do math. Fight that works. It's a fair fight. No, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Finally. Which makes it sound like prior it wasn't. Like it oh. sounded like you got jumped like you did back in Brooklyn. Like, no, we it don't get like, jumped. We oh. just get ignored. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they go to us for the white commentary. Steve is on. White guy. Already. It's, we're, we're going in already. Um, how, how, how you doing, man? I'm... I'm great. First of all, it's, it's great to be here. It it's is great, great to be, to have you. and it was great to see you in Orlando. Uh, tear down the building once again. Thank you. For Thank you, you guys who don't know, uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing this brother for a very long time, and there's a funny family storyline that goes with it because the first time Third Base reunited and went back out on tour, Quest was playing drums for D'Angelo, and Third Base was opening for D'Angelo. Oh wow! I took my daughter to this European, she was six years old, and uh, she would fall asleep behind a stage and, you know, like, just Amir would be like next to her all the time, like, so I was like, yo, let's get a picture. So I got a picture of Quest and my daughter, Mayana. And then like every 10 years, like my daughter and Quest- It's like the evolution chart. Yeah, it's like the evolution (laughs) chart, it's exactly right. So we have these like pictures and we just took one uh, in Orlando a couple of weeks ago on a route tour in there. My daughter's now 22 years old. I'll be 96 when she's like 40. (laughs) All right, so search not wanting to waste a millisecond of uh, your life on the show. You started in Far Rockaway, Queens. Yes, shout out to Far Rockaway. Shout out to Hamill Projects, Redfern, aka Wave Crest, aka B Seventeen, Seeger Boulevard. <laughs> oh wow! That's a lot of AKAs. Mott Avenue. <laughs> Keep search going, is search. so black. Now wait, which <laughs> AKA? He sound like Kevin Hart. Almond Road, <laughs> AKA Reed's Lane. 
All right, so two pillows, which <laughs> one pillowcase by myself? What what part of Queens is that that you're from that they rap about? So Far Rockaway is right on the border of Long Island. So Far Rockaway, my block Queens was on this side, and literally one block over was Long Island on the other side. And it was so funny because literally the prices in houses, like my parents' house in 1967 was like $40,000. Right. And the house up the block, literally around the corner, was like $200,000. Oh, wow. Like, just because of Long Island, because just the... So Long Island was considered the nice part of town? Oh, so nice. So nice. So Now, what part of Long Island? The... Five towns. Public Enemy? No, that's a little... Or the Amityville? That's a little south. Now you're going east and south. I'm more like Inwood... Hewlett, Cedarhurst, Five Towns, like around that area. So that's real Jew area, real Italian area, Colombo crime family, Aisha Cohen. All the good all, shit. All the good shit. <laughs> all, the, all, the, all the dudes that got laid up, like Gotti, all those dudes, they were all in my neighborhood. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. They would move people from Howard Beach into like Inwood and run like gambling spots and like pokered parties and all sorts of crazy. Oh, wait, oh, wait. Yeah. Hey, oh, okay. I yeah. see. Yeah, I fucking, see. fucking, what are you doing, guy? What are you doing? I see. Guy? Come on, what are you here. doing over here? <laughs> what are you fucking doing. Hey. So, being a, like one as a new resident of New York City, I'm slowly discovering that all the five boroughs are major cities within themselves. Like coming from an outsider perspective, you know, when I come here to record records, you know, I just go straight to the hotel, go to studio, really not do that much exploring around new york but now that i like i've been here for a couple of years now i'm slowly realizing that oh what makes new york new york is the fact that all the boroughs are like major cities within themselves so being as though you're all the way up there every story i've ever heard of about you was manhattan stories and 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 so it's like how do you come from all the way out there how do you even infiltrate your way into new york culture at least the the one that embraced you and took you in when i was in middle school mm-hmm. there were schools in new york called public privates where did you go to middle high school, school i went to is 53 brian piccolo why they always piccolo named after middle numbers school. though yeah, yeah i never yeah. ps2 ps whatever it was yeah. named after brian piccolo a chicago bear player which yeah, still brian song right brian yeah. song we had to watch that every year and we were forced to cry at the end when <laughs> gail sayers <laughs> pledged his allegiance and long-term friendship to a dying brian piccolo so anyway so um <laughs> yeah, they made all it, these... was that the movie it was billy was billy, billy williams? williams i was gonna and, say oj and, by accident and, and james con james con yeah so there were these public privates, and I did not want to go to Far Rock High School. Like, I just, there was no way I was going. Was that the local high school? That was the local high the school. The neighborhood high school. Famous for Jonas Salk, who invented penicillin, as you know. Oh, wow. So Jonas Salk went there. Um, wow. Phil Oaks. Full of information, too. Thank yeah, you. I'm thank just you. A, just a wealth of worthless <laughs> thank information you. about my life. Bill's in heaven right now. Bill's in heaven right now. I love useless information. By you too. Yes. I love that. So, it's like um, useless. I did not want to go, and my mother, may she rest in peace, went to music and art high school in Harlem. So she said, you should just try out. So in eighth grade, I went and I tried out, and I got in, and it turned out like, even my guidance counselor was like, really, Michael, you're going to try out? Like, only two students in the history of our whole school got into music and art. Like, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to be the third. And I uh, went in. I sang a 
traditional Hebrew song Shut in Hebrew. Up. Yes, you fucking did. <laughs> Yo, bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it right now. You know you know it. Yerushalayim shel zahav. Sing that shit right now. Yo, my life is complete. Bill is about to explode right now. <laughs> Yo, anyway, exclusive. Was that the I'm, same voice? I'm in a no, Coen Brothers had, movie right I now. Had, no, I had a mad, I had a mad alto voice, like alto soprano. Oh, before they dropped. Yeah, okay. before wow. it dropped. So, um, like I get, early Michael Jackson. Right, before really, like enjoy yourself, Michael Jackson. <laughs> right, like up there. So I get into the school. It's amazing, and um, the commute from Far Rockaway to Harlem was two hours and 12 minutes. So the A train, the first, the last stop on the A train is Mott Avenue, Far Rockaway. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to take the A train through Queens, through Brooklyn, through Manhattan to go to 125th Street, change for the one to go to 135th Street, Convent Avenue, and then walk up the hill, St. Nicholas Hill. And they called it a castle on the hill because music and art looked like a castle. So how that kind of transcended New York was... I just knew the subways. I learned the subways from an early age. But when I went to Music and Art, the very first day I was there, they had freshman orientation. And we got hooked up with a senior. And he was like, yo, you want to come into the lunchroom? Like, you know, that's where everything is popping off. So it's like 9 o'clock in the morning. And I I hear these guys beating on tables. And I hear these dudes doing um, their ramen. And I'm like... Huh. I got some good Hebrew that could go along with that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like I could, I could drop, yeah, I could drop some like, and I'm hearing this skit, and I'm like, that sounds like Hillbilly Girl from like the Kanko Crew. I'm like, nah, they're just biting. And there's this whole cipher going on, a guy's bouncing on a table, and I, I get like on a table, and I'm looking down, and it's Lance Omega, Dana Dane, and Ricky D. Wow. And they are Wait, the you Kango went to high, high school, school with a yeah. Kango crew? Yeah, and Jay Cool Son. from the Fresh 3 MCs, and Lord Taru from the Eternal Force. <laughs> Exclusive. <laughs> so much. Oh, my God. So I'm watching them do Hill, Hillbilly Girl, and I'm like, and we had like third, fourth generation, you know, cassette tapes of what they used to do in the parks. Me and my man Greg and my man Tommy, like, we, like, listened to that. Like, so I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, these guys go to my high school. It's crazy. So they, then, ne- they never had a record deal? As no, the no, they, no, no, never. Who never. are the two members besides Dana Dane and Slick, Slick Lance and Omega. Lance, DJ Lance, right? No, not Lance Romance, not DJ Lance, no. So uh, they were just, just two of their homeboys from high Did school. they all rhyme alike? Yes. Did they all have, like, yes. Yes, yes, yeah. Like that like, snaggletooth. Yeah, yeah. snaggletooth. Yeah. Yeah. No, they definitely, Excellent. definitely did. Right. Like, and it was definitely. And Rick, because he had only come from London like five years prior, oh. like he had a thick, thick British accent. Oh, and the man. girls just—it was moisture yes. in that building. It was, yeah. like, it was moisture. Just straight moisture in the building. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, like this dude starts beatboxing who doesn't go to my school. And they're like, oh, yo, Dougie, you got to get out of here. Like, just drop this beat real quick, and then you can leave. So he's just like, so it's Dougie Fresh. He starts beatboxing. And then in 1980. (laughs) He's in the high school, and he doesn't even go there? No, he's just chilling in the the lunchroom. And I just hear Ricky go, lottie dottie. Lottie dottie. Wow. And I'm like. Like, I'm just, like, so he does the whole verse, and for the whole year, I mean, the whole year from September to June, when we had our ciphers in the lunchroom, he would do that that little skit called he called Lottie Dottie, right? Right, and then we'd beat on tables. Let me tell you something. I bit that shit so fast. <laughs> I went back to my hood, 
And I was like, yo, check out this rhyme I wrote. We like to fuck. I was getting chicks moist. Moisture. So so they come out. Right. Record blows up. I'm at Hot Skates in Lynbrook chilling with my boys. Records on on Kiss FM at like midnight. You know, somebody's playing it. I walk into McDonald's. I'm already MC Search, but I'm not like putting out records yet. Right. I go into McDonald's. This girl I was kicking it with from Hempstead goes, oh, look, it's Ricky D. Oh. Uh, and I turn uh, around and I go, uh, well. Yeah. And she's like, you, I just heard your record on Kiss. You're Ooh. Ricky D. And this big ass dude, he's like, that fucking white boy ain't slick, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> I was so mesmerized by what they did in school. And again, Jay Cool was my locker mate. And then, like, just before he graduates high school, he puts out F R E S H. Yo, that is rhyming in reverse. And Pumpkin and the All Stars comes out, and he's on that. And I'm like, wait, he was part of that crew too? Yeah, yeah, he was on that record. Yeah, Pumpkin. Oh, shit. Yeah, Jay Cool's on that. Yeah, all of that. So I'm like, so I'm like, no okay. wonder you had so much flavor. Yeah, so I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I know what I'm going to do in my life. I'm going to be a rapper. Wow. Like, that's, it's really that simple. And where did like, the name Search come from? How did how'd you get that So name? when I was in middle school, like literally one day, like my friend Bill comes into school as Bill, and the next day he's Lord June Qua Mathematics Understanding the Law of God Cycle. You know what I'm saying? And I'm that's like, me. yo. And I'm like, what? What? And he's like, yo, I became a 5% of God. Like, right, I can't search. even speak to you. You a devil now. And like, yada, da, da, da. And I'm like, why am I a devil? Like, you a white man. You know, da, 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 da. And like, the white man's a devil. And you don't know the circumference of the planet Earth. And you don't know da, 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 da. And you don't have the one to tens. And right. so I was asking all these questions. And they were like, yo, why you keep searching for the answers, man? Why you keep searching for the answers, <laughs> devil? Why you keep searching for the answers, <laughs> devil? You kept knocking on the door. Right. And they just, that, so that's where they called me search. Oh, wow. So now, so now I'm tagging <laughs> search, S E. A R C H, like that was my name, right? Is that where that also that is that a myth? That's funny because I heard that you were like a five percent. I practiced, I practiced the one to tens. Like yeah. I knew my one to tens. Like I, oh. I knew knowledge. He's trying to avoid the, he trying to avoid the universe. You are blacker than the blackest black man. <laughs> yeah, like I was standing three sixty. Like I had a standard three sixty. Like oh. yo, like yo, yo, knowledge born born. Listen, like I just every white man in this room just put his head down. Like I don't even know what the fuck is going yeah, on. Wait, right. This is like a Listen, whole nother. Yes, this is the original set. woke. This is the original stay woke. Right. Right. Oh, boy. Dang, Serge, I love you. And you're wearing red back and green right now. It was so woke. So, yeah, we it was really woke. So, anyway, so on my 16th birthday, my home, my best friend, Kevin Armour, he got me a nameplate belt buckle. And the thing was, the nameplate belt buckle. No, no, no. The five, the five-letter nameplate belt buckle was like $35. Yo. But the six-letter one was like $50. Plus the letters were five dollars each, so he got the five one, but he tried to squeeze in the A because he tried to save himself twenty dollars for my sixteenth birthday. What was your friend's name? Kevin Amore. Okay. Kev Love. Yeah, Love. <laughs> Kev Love, and it it popped out, so I just said, you know what, fuck it, I'm just gonna keep it S E R C H, and that's how I spelled the name. <laughs> Did I disappoint you, ladies and gentlemen? No. Oh no. No, oh. no, man. Search, man. Wait, I'm like just 12. mind blown. I am about... the most blessed white Jewish man in the history of yes. hip hop. Let's be very clear. <laughs> Let's be very clear. 
Like I tell people all the time, like when people even meet me, like my partner Matthew's behind me uh -huh. and we're doing an app called To Do Together. Like I tell Matthew all the time, I'm like, you don't understand. Like I would not be standing next to you, Matthew. We wouldn't be doing a do if hip hop didn't save my life. Like I would be selling shoes at fucking Macy's. Like I would, I'd be shoveling dirt. Like everything I learned, business acumen, marketing, promotion, music, love of culture, like everything came from hip hop. You know, I mean, I loved being a Jew and I loved my culture, but there was no way being a Jew was gonna get me to make rap records, you know, with, and go onto a public enemy. It just wasn't gonna happen. So it, like it gave me my life. So like everything that I surround myself with even now is based on hip hop principles. How old were you when you were just telling that story uh, in 1979 or 80? No, uh, no, that by no. Lottie Dottie, that was like 85. Well, yeah, but I heard Lottie Dottie in, in the 80, lunch room. Yeah, the lunch room in 1980. So, how old, oh, what? How old so that was I was 14. That was just the routine they did. Right, it was one of the Kango crew routines. So and he that would do it every was day. like four years old before right. he even got, got out. out. Yeah. So search like. Being a, a white dude in a culture in which, I mean, with the exception of Arthur Baker, I mean, when I first heard the Beasties in 85 with this party's getting rough. There was no question that they were We white. all thought they were Puerto Rican. No. Oh, you, oh, you oh. thought they were, all thought they were Puerto Rican? Dog, forget the inside sleeve of License to Ill. Back when they did parties getting rough in the Beastie Groove. Yeah, yeah. Like, though, you just fessing, man. I don't you just mean, fessing, yeah. Like, I thought they were Puerto Rican. Oh, wow. Because okay. it just never occurred to me that white dudes could have flavor. So, uh, you know what I mean? Flavor, the swag of my generation. <laughs> so, that said, I mean, were you a walking novelty to every black person you met? Because even Q-Tip, when he described how he first met you with Greg Nice, he was like, yo, I've never seen no buck shit like this in my life. Like, he described... <laughs> he said he just, had watermelon he, at the Latin Quarter search. He, he described <laughs> watermelon. He described the moment where he first heard Big Daddy Kane's Raw, where, like, it was you, Greg Nice, uh, D-Nice, nice, yeah. uh, and him, and Kane pulls up in the limo and plays Raw, and, like... But he was just, like, when he met you for the first time, he's like, the most incredible thing. Like, he just never saw... A white dude with flavor. <laughs> right. And so, like, how did you navigate not being a, a caricature, so to speak? Like, Chappelle always says, like, always be scared of the white guy. The white guy. In the, yeah, yeah. In the black group. The black, yeah. Because ain't no telling what he did to get to their respect. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it, like, just between 81 and 86? So really between 81 and 85, I was really very quiet and very shy because with the exception of a white rapper, the first white rapper named Vanilla B, uh, AKA Lord Scotch, AKA Keo, Blake Latham, there were no white rappers. And Blake had the most flavor I'd ever seen in my life. Like he was wearing creased leaves with like dark black wallabies and had a lucite cane with a Latigra and like gazelles and like he was from Brooklyn and I was like, Whatever you're doing, I want to match what you're doing. Like, because I don't have that flavor in Far Rockaway. I was real humble. Like, I was just writing to myself. You know what I'm saying? And, like, I would, like, go in the lunchroom and I would, like, I would see a cypher go on and I'd be like, you know, being. Oh, you, you never say? rhymed in those? Nah, never, never, never rhymed at school ever. Wow, they didn't ever. know. No, yeah, because I was wondering how long it no. took you to actually make get into no. the circle up yeah. at the lunchroom. Like no, how long I did it take you to get closer into the and closer? I never, never had the balls to step into that circle. Like never was gonna happen. Like I was way overclassed.
Shout like, out to teenagers with no balls, man. I'm with you. <laughs> AKA the Jewish brother. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Hashtag AKA lunchroom. Right. Steve. Yeah. AKA lunchroom, AKA small testicles. <laughs> um, so that was never going to happen. So I figured, like, okay, so I've absorbed all of these MCs that are in my school. So, like, when I leave school, like, I can really, like, step up and do some damage because I've learned from all these MCs that are around me. So I had gone to music and art on a voice, on, on voice. I was singing Italian opera, and, like, my thought was I would go to school because I couldn't afford to go to yeshiva, and I would be either a rabbi or a cantor, and I would learn how to sing in music and art, and then I would go to yeshiva and get a, get a scholarship. And I didn't. I wound up getting a scholarship to the St. Louis School of Music at George Washington University. Four-year scholarship, free ride. And I had to um, make a decision, signing day, right? And the weekend before, I tell my mom, like, yeah, I'm not going to St. Louis. Ain't shit for me in St. Louis. I want to be a rapper. And she said, what do you mean? You're going to rap gifts at Sears? Like, what's a rapper? (laughs) And you'll appreciate this. She said, Vashnish the rapper. Like, Vashnish. I'm like, mom, there's this culture called hip hop. And, you know, there's music called rap. And the guys who do it are MCs. And I want to be a rapper. She said, so what's your plan? And I said, I just told you my plan. I'm going to be a rapper. She said, no, 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 no. If you're going to give away four years of college, I need you to have a plan. Like, I need you to figure it out. Like, you can't just say you're going to be a rapper. And the thing that I had going for me is my mother was a child star in the Borscht Belt back in the 30s and 35. And she had to leave that to when the depression happened to, like, become a dental technician to help put food on the table. So she always felt like she couldn't fulfill her career What's the Borscht Belt for? So the, oh, I'm sorry. Like so the, the Borscht Belt circuit for Jews. Right. That's exactly right. <laughs> There's a chilling circuit for wow. Jews. For Jews. It's called the oh, Borscht Belt. So it's Kutcher's. Okay. It's all in the Catskills. So Kutcher's, Brown, like it was all these different hotels in the Catskills. Wait a minute. And that was wow. called the Borscht Belt. This is the craziest thing because my dad did up in the Catskills doing all those right. hotels Monticello, around. Monticello, Muncie, yeah. like yeah, yeah. So that was called the Borscht Belt. So young like Jewish artists would go perform and they would do like vaudeville and they would sing and my mom was one of those. She was singing, your mother was a singer. Singer, yeah. She had an amazing voice. And she's like, you know, put a plan together and let me see the plan. But you have to tell St. Louis School of Music on Monday that you're going to college. And if you're not, I want to know the plan. So I spent all Friday, Saturday, and Sunday like writing this plan. Like, well, I got to got to find a producer and I got to find a manager and I got to make a demo and I got to get in the studio and I got to, and so I'm going through this whole list all weekend. Like I didn't leave my basement like all weekend. I'm just going through this list, hold this list. I got to hit the clubs and And she wanted to know how much time it was going to take me to do this. And I said, three and a half years and three and a half years, I'm going to have a record contract. And she said, I'll tell you what, I'll support you. Keep a part-time job, pay for the insurance and the gas in your car, but keep at least a part-time job or a job. I'll pay for your demo. I'll pay for your stage clothes. I'll pay for I'll support you. But you have two choices at the end of three and a half years. You go back to school and get out my house, or you get a job and get out my house. But either way, you get You're out my out house. You're getting out of the house. Yeah. Right. Wait so, a minute. Yeah. Yeah, it was different. Wait, can we just... It was different. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> welcome to, welcome to Quest Love Supreme. You ready for this? <laughs> If, the, if you're just doing this, here we go. Oh man, this <laughs> <laughs> search is blowing my mind right now. <laughs> Wait, on your rhyme and your mind. I, one I'm time just, for your mind, one time. Yo, dude, because my dad was the opposite. I put it. I didn't tell my dad 
dad didn't find out about the roots until so like the y'all second, second album. album. <laughs> <laughs> second album. <laughs> y'all had a deal and shit. Like, like yeah. it took a record review of Do You Want More to be like, someone showed me this today. You want to explain what's going on? Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, dad, I got her record deal and uh, <laughs> signed to Geffen Records and Wendy Goldstein is my NR. Like he, and didn't, he didn't believe me or approve till the things fall apart. That was when he finally got it. Wait, yeah. did she let you not have go, an option and you didn't have not an option. Give a full ride. Four, it's a full ride, yeah. full ride to a $40,000 a year school. Wow. George Washington University and their St. Louis School of Music. Their specialty program for voice, <laughs> instrumental. Was it so, just you and your mom? Was your father around? No, my father was around. So my father was the kind of guy like I would go to him and go, Dad, man, I'm, you know, I don't know if I should do this. And he'd go, so don't do it. But like, <laughs> dad, like, I really want to do it. So do it. I'm like, I don't know. Well, don't ask me then. Either do it or don't do it. Yes, no, I don't know. There's your three answers. <laughs> what do you want from me? So my dad really was involved in like, you know, this career thing. He was just like, so do it. I'm still mind blown. Like, I, Well, my mom, I think would help. Well, your dad was a musician so as well. So when you gave her this plan. So she I gave was... her this three-page plan. And after three and a half years, you either go back to school and get out of my house. Well, you get a job and get out of my house, but either way, you get out of my house. On my birthday, 21, May 6th, I signed my deal to Def Jam. Wow. Three years. At three, three years. years. Three years. And the funny thing was the car that lasted me that whole time, and I'll tell you about that car between me and Pete because we wrote most of the Cactus album in that car. In the car. Because it was called the Think Tank because it had no radio. All you could do is think in it. So we would just <laughs> literally write rhymes. like Not like, even a cassette player to nothing. play instrumentals? No, shit was dead. Just think. Dead. We would just think. That's we called it the think tank. <laughs> like we drove it all over the place. It was in 1974 Valare, and was just like a think tank. So I signed. So I signed Def Jam. I get a fifteen thousand dollar advance, uh-huh. right, to sign the Def Jam. I go to my mom. I show her the contract. Yes, like it was like that back then. Right, I'm like fifteen thousand. It was and, like that back listen, then. And we had to beg for that money. Okay, more than we had to beg for it. So my mom gives me two letters. Yes, one letter says how proud she is of me and that I won't really realize what I just accomplished until I have children of my own. And that the real work and the real testament is to how long I ran those streets because I ran them streets. For three, three years, That's I treated I my house. About. I know we'll go to that. But for three years, I treated my house like a hotel. Like I literally was there to shit, shower, and shave. And I was in the streets six days a week. Every club, Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island, Staten Island, anywhere there was a cipher, I was there. I was there. Like it was not even a question. I was everywhere. I was every like my friends like to call me the Forrest Gump of hip hop because from 1985 <laughs> to 1989, anything that happened in the five boroughs that was historic, I was there. It's period. Period. I was just there. Let's like, go through it. We, and we will. But I just <laughs> want to just tell you this one quick story because the Jews in the room will appreciate it. <laughs> yes, so my mother will. gives me this letter telling me how proud she is of me, but that the real work starts when I sign the contract. Like all the work was nothing. Now, now that I really have to do the work. Now you got to keep it. Right. You got to maintain it. And the second letter was a bill: electric, rent, clothing. <laughs> Surely demo. Caesar, no charge. Right. Seventeen thousand nine hundred thirty-six dollars wow. and forty-three cents. You and dead. she wanted to know how I was going to pay it. Yeah. And that was for the three oh. years. That for the three years. Wow. So I said, Mom, I said I only got fifteen thousand. I'll give you five thousand now. And the rest of it, I'll give you my ASCAP royalties, which for all the those who don't know, is when your record plays on the radio, you make money. So for about 
10 years after, I would get phone calls at home and go, Michael, did you know your record step into the AM played in Israel four times this month? <laughs> she still you made a dollar thirty-one, and in Germany, your record. And did you know that if your record plays on WNEW, you make more money than if it plays on Kiss FM? And so, anyway, ten years later, in nineteen ninety-seven <laughs> or nineteen ninety-eight, she sent me a letter that said paid in full. That like my ass got brought to covered the it covered the debt. Damn. So people always say one or two things. They either laugh at that or go, damn, your mom is fucked up. Like, <laughs> no, you know, no, she real. Dude, she real. No, she it's like a would you rather. Like, 1, I don't feel bad now because my dad did the same shit to me. Where, oh, he really? Did you a bill? He kind of, yeah, he was like, I didn't tell him about our events. So one day <laughs> I just came on with all these new clothes, like, we went overboard. Like, we we poloed ourselves to death. Like, we just came with all these new clothes. He's like, where are you getting all these new clothes from? And I was like, oh, uh, uh, you know, well, yeah, we got a record deal. And, uh, huh, what was that? And then he was just like, all right, I want 10. Wow. 10,000. 10,000. 10, 10, 10, wow. 10 Rex. I gave him 10 Rex like that. Just Must be a nice advance. It, it is what it is. That wasn't one of them $15,000 advances. It was a little different at Geffen. Okay. So, so anyway, wait, so but so <laughs> between so basically after I left high school, I basically became a beast. Like I basically became a beast. So what happened was I just focused, focused, focused on getting a record deal. See, that's weird. Now that I know the backstory, I guess in your mind there's a backwards clock. Yes. With I can't be that's home. That's exactly doomsday. right. Yeah, the, the no, the doomsday yeah. clock. That's exactly right. Now I'm just thinking like, wow, because every the thing is you are the common denominator. To every hip hop folklore story I've ever heard of classic New York clubs, oh yeah, I remember searching, no, 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 or or a concert or whatever. Oh yeah, I remember uh, the search, yeah, cool white boy, no, no, no. But in my head, I was just like, oh well, search was just like you know socialite search, like he's just everywhere. But nah, now I know yeah. you <laughs> it was are doing hustling that. <laughs> to get your deal. No, it's definitely it was definitely the clock was ticking, and so that it, weekend, what do you like the day she hands you? It's, right. The t- what I, happens? I tell my um, my guidance counselor, I go back to school Monday and say, yo, I'm not going to school. And he's like, whatever, B. And then, <laughs> you know, and I graduate. And um, I just become a beast. And I have a meeting. Like, a meeting gets set up for me at Profile Records with their head of marketing named Steve Plotnicki. And Steve Plotnicki, his fame. That's a real fame, name? Yes. Yeah. I his, thought it was claim, like a... <laughs> his claim to fame was he created the Adidas deal with Lior for Run DMC. Like, he was a big marketing guy. Okay. And he did uh, retail and marketing for Profile. And I got a meeting with him. And I thought, this is, this is it. Like, one meeting, I'm signed, done. And he tells me I need to make a demo. And I said, great. And he said, bring it back when you make a demo. Great. And I left that place. I left Profile, which was on Broadway, across from NYU, and I literally called my mom collect and said, oh, I just got a deal. I'm on signed to Profile Records. And I get on the Long Island Railroad, and there's these bad chicks from Valley Stream that I've been kicking it to for a minute. <laughs> and they're all, like, in the train, and they're coming from the city, and they're all giggly. And I'm like, I'm feeling myself because I'm like, yo, I just got a deal to Profile Records. I met Steve Plotnicki. I'm, I'm in. And they're like, we didn't even know you rhymed. So I start rhyming off the top of my head about all these bad chicks and what they look like and what they got on. And I'm talking about the, the conductor gets my ticket and I'm, I'm beefing about why the, the LIRR is always late. And, <laughs> and all these people start coming around me because I'm rhyming real loud because I'm feeling myself. I'm like, yo, you know. And this 
bad Dominican chick comes up to me. She goes, can I talk to you a second? I was like, you can talk to me as long as you want. <laughs> as long as you want. She's like, you know, my name is Lourdes, and my boyfriend is Grand Wizard Tony D from the Bad Boys. And they had the biggest right, Inspector yeah. Gadget. Like, right. that was the record. Yes. And forget about that. Overonica was even bigger. Because oh, that record right. in the oh, street. Oh, Tony D. Right. Oh. Tony D. Yes. Tony okay. Dick. Okay. Right. So I'm like, yo, set up a meeting. She's like, yeah, but I got to be your manager. I'm like, whatever, B. Like, it's all good. <laughs> so she gives me his card, and she goes, you know, give me your phone number. I'll call you in a couple of weeks, and I'll set up a meeting. She scratches out his number. But his name is there on the card. Right. Anthony Dick and an address. So I'm like, I ain't waiting two weeks for this bitch. Like, what are you talking about? I go home. <laughs> I call 411. I said, hey, can I get the number for Anthony Dick on Seacrest Boulevard in Brooklyn, New York? And they're like, yes, 718, blah, 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 blah. Call him. Hello? Grand Wizard Tony D to MC Search. I just met Lourdes. She told me um, you could sign me. He's like, man, I'm look, man, I can't really talk right now. We're going to like. Toronto for two weeks on tour. Call me in two weeks. I'm like, okay, click. Next day, next day, next. I'm like two weeks to the day. Ring. Oh, how was Toronto? Tony is search again. You know, when can I come? Oh man, we're going on tour. Like, yo, I'm gonna be gone for like a month. Tick, 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 tick. 30 days later. Tony, what up, man? Search. I did this for six months. For six months, he would tell me not to call. Wait a month. I would wait a month. I call. <laughs> Finally, it's April. It's April of 1986. It's pouring rain. It's a, it's the middle of the night. I'm like, you know what? It's 9:30 at night. You know, whatever. I'm just gonna try him. Call him. Hello, Tony. Man, it's Search. He's like, you know what, man? Just come over. I'm like, what? <laughs> Even he's like, I got some people over, but just come over. And my car was acting funny, and I didn't think I would get it all the way out there. So I called my best friend. I'm Who like, were you Yo. driving back then? The, I was driving the Valari. No, okay, okay. think tank. tank. So I called my man. I'm like, Billy, you got to take me out to Seagate. He's like, Yo, it's pouring rain. I'm like, Bro, this is my shot. Like, you got to take me out to Seagate. Like, I got to go. So he drives me out. And where he was in Coney Island, if people know Seagate, if you don't, there's basically, it's like the end of Coney Island is a dead end. And then there's these fences that are like 10 feet high these fences where like all the italian mafiosos stay over there and tony was in his brownstone right across from the projects and there's these bad cars like in, in his parking lot is an 85 jaguar xj sitting on dayton's and there's like a 98 oldsmobile like crispy and there's a cadillac and i'm like so i'm telling my man billy like yo let's go inside and he's like i ain't going in there man you can go in there by yourself i'm like word you ain't gonna come in with me he's like nah you go in Go in, knock on the door. Tony opens the door. Yeah, I'm Search. Whatever. I'm like, no, 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 it's me. I'm Search. <laughs> He's like, all right, come on in. So it was this really thin hallway, and it was dark. And it opened up to this living room. And sitting on the couch was Lord Turu from the Eternal Force, who I knew from high school. Right. Uh, Grandmaster D from Houdini. Right. Jam Master J. Right. And they're just sitting there looking at me. And Tony goes, let's go in the basement. And it's this dark, like, musty basement. And I'm going down these steps, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, three of the biggest DJs in the world are about to jump me. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is fucking Box. dope. Like, yo, like, right. right? Box. So, so we go down into this, this musty, damp basement, and he clicks this light, and it's this little lamp, and it's a little makeshift studio with an Akai and a little studio right there. And he sits me down. And Tony sits over me, and, and literally, it was like Jam Master J.D. Taru. And he says, rap. Mm -hmm. And I went, 
So you think you rock well, got a snowball chance in hell to catch the MC search, cause I will ring your bell. And soon you will tell that my record's gonna sell. Cause when I finish rapping, homeboys are gonna yell. You will be so excited that my fire's been ignited and all the party people have now been sighted. So if you're in my sight, keep rocking all night and let the power of the party go far and bright. My name is MC and I run my ass off for like two <laughs> minutes straight, spitting, bop. And I said, oh, and there's dead silence. <laughs> dead silence. I'm like, I'm just dead silence. And Jam Master Jay leans back and he crosses his arms and he puts his hands over his mouth and he goes, fuck. If white boys start rhyming like this, we're over. Yo, I need you to come on tour with me wow. with Davey DMX, and I need you to open with Davey DMX and me in Albany. And Grandmaster D is like, nah, 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 nah. I need you to write for Houdini. We got this new album coming out, and we need you to write. And Tony D's like, nah, this is my artist. It's my artist. You got to talk to me. And I had no paperwork, none. So I'm, like, so like, I'm like, I made it. And Tony hands me a contract, and I signed it. <laughs> Wait, what? Power of attorney, power of signature, all of my royalties, all of my publishing, Ooh. everything. I signed everything over because I was just open. And you're how old at this open. time? Open, 18. Oh, wow. I, I signed everything. I'm, I tell my mom I got a fair deal. Like She's like, we should have a lawyer look at it. I'm like, no, he would never jerk me. Like Took everything, and I'm just open. Like I'm in the house with the bad boys. They're talking about doing a new record. I'm helping writing for the Glamour Girls who had the answer record to Oberonica. Right. And I'm meeting Sweet Tea, and I'm meeting this one and that one, and I'm going into the studio with Houdini, and I'm writing Be Yourself, and I'm writing all these other records. You ghost wrote Be Yourself? Yep. You might find yourself by yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. With Millie Jackson. With Millie Jackson. Yeah. Wow. So I'm I'm doing all this and I'm like, and I'm not making a penny. I'm just excited. Like I'm just excited. I'm going on tour and I'm doing shows. And Wait, son- he had a contract just there? Yeah, just there. On his kitchen counter. Yeah, just a straight boilerplate joint. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly wow. right. So I signed over everything. And um and, and what I'm year doing is this. What year is this? 86. Okay. Okay. So we signed a warlock. I put out Melissa, which was a terrible record, yeah, um, which is my first I, single. I cannot find. I've scoured the earth. I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I don't want you That's to hear all... it or ever play it, but I'll give you one. Sir, <laughs> it's terrible. Just I sound like hip... sick, Slick Rick's bald cousin. <laughs> Ick Rick. Like, I am fucking horrendous. Like, because that's what I was around for four years. So I'm thinking, I got to ride with an accident. And it was terrible. It was a terrible record. And, and you I'll tell out, you how terrible. You under, was it under the name MC Search? MC Search. Okay. And I was it you War- and Greg Nice? Or? No, it was just me. It was Warlock Records. Okay. I was signed to Adam Levy and Morris Levy. Oh, so, right. wait. Wow. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. yeah. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. 
In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. So I'm not making a lot of money, you know, with my record deal, and I'm right. doing, like, little shows, but so I'm making and, and a lot of money. this is your deal with, with Warlock. Warlock right. What was your, like, did you get an advance or anything? No, or? nothing. It all went to Tony D. Oh, so, so how are you living? Yeah. So I'm basically, I'm working, I'm working two jobs. I'm, jo- I'm driving Yeshiva kids from Queens to Far Rockaway to go to Yeshiva. <laughs> Bill just lit up. <laughs> I bet they were paying you. Right? <laughs> uh, that was Sugar Steve <laughs> saying that. <laughs> 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 All right, right. Oh, I'm just saying. <laughs> it sounds like Chess Records in reverse, what happened, what happened yeah. to him. Yeah. Oh, I almost, yo, almost, I almost fainted. I laughed so hard on that. <laughs> yo, um, yeah, so yeah, I was getting paid decent money. Yeah. And I was delivering pizza and chicken. So like, that's what I was doing when I was like, Wait, so. what, yo, God. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't fried, was it? Yeah, it was fried chicken. Oh. Come on. Wait, wait, chicken. Chicken tender. Delivering fried chicken and driving around Yeshiva kids? Yeah. I didn't know if it was the best for the two jobs a ever have ever. <laughs> or baked chicken and come yeah. on, like yeah. I didn't so I'm know. like I make but but where I was really making money is my man understanding from Red Fern Projects. He was seeing that I was like ramen, but like he hated my record. Like I, I gotta tell you this story. This mm-hmm. is and I know Bring a certain him. DJ is gonna hate me for this, but I love him 
and he's an OG, but it is what it is. So nobody would play the record except for Bill Blass and Van DC. They would play the record, and the Awesome 2 would play the record. Okay. But I was like, yo, we got to get this record on Kiss FM. They got to get it on Kiss FM. And Red Alert had a theory. It was very simple. If he liked the record, he would play it. If it's not, he'd say, that's not hot, and he wouldn't play it. So my record was not hot. He was not playing it. But I heard we could get to Chuck Chill Out if we paid him. Mm. So we go to see Chuck before he goes on the air, and I'm in awe because it's Chuck Chill Out and it's Kiss FM. And I see Tony hand him the Melissa record with $200 attached to the record. Instead of seeing the logo, I see the, the bills. And Chuck looks down at me and says, only reason I'm playing this piece of shit is because you paid me. And I said, thank you. I stuck my hand out. <laughs> and shook his hand. I said, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. He played that record for 36 seconds and took the shit off. Wow. Not even the first Was verse. it that bad? He just didn't oh, pay enough. it was horrific. No, it wasn't. No, oh, it was not, oh. the record was horrific. Oh, damn. Are you, trying to find it? Are you trying to find it? Yeah, I'm, you know I'm No, please now. don't. I'm I begging you. I will leave <laughs> the show right now. <laughs> please <laughs> don't Oh, my play. God. You found Search, it? Search, please. You can please we just play don't 30 play seconds? No, no, you gotta play it. Please. It's part of the story. I never knew. Story. I never knew this go record ahead, existed. Play the record. I love. This is only because I love you and you've done so much for my family. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're even. Yeah, right. Well, look. I mean, dog. It's this song is 31 years old. This is education. This is education. It's just it's my age. We promise not to laugh. <laughs> no, you. No, if you don't laugh, I'll be. I'll be pissed. <laughs> this is laugh because you think. It's just this terrible. It's that terrible. See, but I'm one of them silver lining motherfuckers be like, well, I like the breakbeat, so... <laughs> right. All right, let's hear it. Let's All right, ladies and gentlemen, exclusive. This is Melissa on Warlock Records, MC Search, Grand Wizard, Tony D. Yeah, right here on Questlove Supreme. Yes. I cannot wait. Oh, fuck. <laughs> That's the B-side. Oh. But, but that's the that's the beast. I know, I know. I'm gonna let it play. And that's you. That's you, Ram. I kind of fuck with this. Nah, that's part for the chorus for '86. Yeah. No, that was that was not the. So the B side wasn't winning again. No, not no. It did, but here's the thing. Yes, it did. But because I had made such a stench in the in, city of Melissa, yeah. right? Only a few people looked at the B side, and one of the people that did was a guy named Daddyo from Sets of Simon. Ah. So what Daddyo would do is say, "Yo, Search, I want you to come on tour with us, with Stet," and then Stet would do a little bit of their show and a little bit of their performance, and Daddyo would come out. He goes, "Yo, I brought my son with me. He's gonna come out and perform." And they would throw on a record, and I would come out and do the running man. The crowd would go crazy. I'm like, "Oh my God, he's white!" <laughs> like crazy, right? So that helped like build my rep to get to my second single. But between '85 and like '87, what really kind of got my rep out is that my man, understanding from Redfern, knew that I was dope off the top of my head. Like, and I would battle anybody. Right. So what he would do is he would set up these battles in the five boroughs like Vandermeer Projects in Brooklyn, and he would set up something in Eastgate and, like, all of this. And he'd be like, yo, my man Search want a battle. And they'd be like, yo, put up a hundred. And, you know, these drug dealers be like, bet, you know, fuck it. My man is dope. Like, yeah, my man, whatever, is dope. Like, he's dope in the projects. Right. He's like, yeah, my man will crush him. 
And then they would see me come off the subway, like, yeah, that's search. And I'm having the glasses and the mullet, and they're uh, like, oh shit, 200. Straight white men can't jump. 250. White men can't jump. And I would, I would get in these ciphers, and somebody would beatbox, and I would always let the dude go first. Yeah. And then I would pick apart his verse in front of him and spit his rhymes back at him and tell him how whack he was because he said something and he really should have said this when he meant this and da 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 da. Bake him. Bake him. Like, and then everyone, ooh, right. <laughs> so one time in the Bronx, I'm, I'm at this battle and my man's DJing, and it was like some serious money, I think it was like 275 or something this dude was putting up. So we're battling and I'm like, it's, a, it's this Latin kid, like he's half Latin, half black, and I'm like, I just went in. I don't know why, I think I was like smoking weed, or like I just went in and like, <laughs> I started talking about how I was fucking his sister, and like, and, and I just oh, remember, no. and, this, and this is the one oh, thing no. I know. And then this is the one thing I said, I remember this, and I said, just realize a Blanquito just smoked you. Uh, don't say a word. Cállate la boca. Oh! <laughs> oh! This motherfucker's looking at me like, man, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but it I mean, sounds shut, hard. Shut, shut your mouth. Shut, shut your mouth. mouth. Yeah. So um, at the end of the party, my man is asking me to break down his set. I got this giant amp in my hand, you know, like from 85. Mm -hmm. They were like yeah. the size of car trunks. Right. I hear pop. And I see the amp, and the amp cracks in half. And I look up, and it's the Puerto Rican kid, and he's aiming a 38 at me. Oh. So I'm like, oh, Brooklyn dip, drop the shit. He takes two more shots. I dip out, run through the subway. It just, it, it just the word spread, like the social network news that, like, you can't battle this kid because you're going to want to kill him. No and more project battles. <laughs> no right. more project battles. Well, after first that. of all, okay. Now, but that's how I was making my money. Like I would make like two, three hundred a weekend because my man would split. We and it was it. nothing to you to just show up at Marcy Project. Nothing, and, <laughs> nothing. It, it was, was nothing, nothing. And it never turned nothing. into. You never had to put your hands on anybody. No, right. even never. as gentrified as Brooklyn is now, no, now today, <laughs> I don't even go into a bodega <laughs> without clearing it first through the security. No, I just. You know what? <laughs> Look, I have some friends <laughs> who are real deep, and it's funny because. Even like in the Latin Quarter, like fifty, the original Fifty Cent and A Rock and the Decepticons and the they always looked out for me. Like I could go to Gates and Green and like have no problems because they'd be like, you know, no, don't fuck with Search. That's Fifty's men. Like don't fuck with them. Don't fuck with them. And, and in Queens, like Tommy Mickens and like all those kids, Fat Cat, like all those dudes that got locked up for like a hundred years for like those were my boys. Like those were like just my dudes. And they'd be like, Yo, Search, come over here, kick a little, kick a little rhyme about this 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 kid over here. So freestyling was your redemption after Melissa. Not only my redemption, but it's how I got my deal at Def Jam. Wow. Because Dave Funkenklein, may he rest in peace, used to run the Battle for World Supremacy for the New Music Seminar. And I had a second single that came out on a label that my mother started with Tony D called Idler's Records. She put Wait, your mom owns Idler's? Well, she didn't own it. She put up the money to, for the first single, which was Hey Boy. Your mother yeah. went from not knowing what rap was to investing in a... Yeah. She's a Wait a minute. Based on the All Dorothy Night Long Man thing? Tooth is a saint. Yeah. Yes. Hey, boy. <laughs> yeah, hey, boy. Hey, boy. Hey, boy. <laughs> yep. Hey, boy. That was you? Yeah, that was me. Yo, Lady B played that so much of Billy. Yeah. That was you? That was me. And you know why she played I it? I love that shit. You know why she played it? <laughs> why? We did a party for her at a high school in Philly. Me and Tony D went up there, and the crowd started booing me the second they saw me. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm not talking about little boos. It's Philly. About, it's Philly. It's yeah. Philly. Right. Right? And I go to Tony. I go, why are they booing me? 
And we already had this plan because it had happened before. So you always went into this situation being underestimated. Always. So, and you know who has the tape of this is uh, DJ Cash Money. Uh, or either Tad or Cash Money. One of them have the tape of this. Oh, man. They have the tape of it. So um, I said, yo, why are they booing me? And he said, it's because you're white. And I went, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> if any of y'all see a white boy on stage, somebody say, white motherfucker. Say white motherfucker. Say white motherfucker. White motherfucker. I'll show you. Can I play Hey Boy? Yes, absolutely. Yo, I love that record. Yo, yo. I've never heard this. This is the first time. Dog, this is my high school experiences. Like listening to Lady B, Street Beat. At like 11.30 at night on Power 99, and they used to always run this joint. Yo, this MC Search, hey boy. I list record. I cannot believe that. And the second record we put out was Jimbrowski, the Jungle Brothers. Mm, mm, that's why uh, I know Idlers. That, yes, that's I was what like, I'm saying. I was like, that's okay. That's, I'm mind blown right now. All right, all right. This is Quest Love Supreme. This is Hey Boy, MC Search. Me and me at a party, Stone Cold Illin. Although in my hand, man, you know that I was chilling. Bouncing off the wall, just having a ball. When out of nowhere, I hear this call that goes up. Well, it all started out at this one show. Now these words follow me wherever I go. From front and behind, it blows my mind. Whoever this girl is, man, she's being unkind. In the USA, or even overseas, the damn girl is from the ocean just to follow me. She wants, she taunts like a witch or a ghost. And all that I can do about it is just play the post. I'm paranoid to turn around and face his voice cold, invisible, unstoppable, unable to hold. Yo, search, I know the school. Why don't you try to regroup? I can't, Tony D. She got me knocked for a loop. Dude, like this, there's no feeling. Like, you know the feeling the feeling that I'll have when we finally discover that uh, ECM sample of Crooklyn? Crooklyn, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, the, the relief of, like, whew, I finally found out what that sample was. There's, like, six what I thought were Philly records that I've been searching for. I never knew that was MC Search. I loved that record, hey man. Hey, boy. It was, like, the WAP classic. Like It was. The WAP classic. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely was. Classic. That's exactly what I was thinking about when I made that record. It was like, I want to do a record that I could WAP to. You could do the WAP to. And how old were you when you made that? I was 20, 19, 20. Okay. Wow. 19, so that 20. was 87. 87. 87. And mind you, like we had sold like 75,000 copies of that single. I never saw a penny. Um, you know, because Tony D owned everything. So I go to Funk and Klein. He'd seen me in the Latin Quarter. And he says, yo, you know, you should be a part of this battle. I know you rhyme off the top of your head. And I'm like... Yeah, cool. Like, I'll show up. Yeah, no problem. You know, there was a battle. There was like 64 MCs. It was crazy. And I battled this dude, Ronan Rowe from BMOC. Yeah, Ronan Rowe. He used to the yeah. source. Yeah, source. Right. Yeah. He so was I, an MC first? Yeah. He was signed to Select Records on a record. He was a group called Big Men on Campus, BMOC, that was signed by Faith Newman, uh, who they, was, started her did career. Did they have a single out? Yes. What year was it? Do you know? 87. I think I have one of those records. <laughs> so anyway, I slayed him. Like it was embarrassing. Like I slayed him. Like I just just talked. Now trash what were about battles? Him. Okay, now so battles at so battles at New Music Seminar were really cool because they threw on beats that producers made. So all these producers would just throw on beats, or we would rhyme to like 
records that were hot. And we were just, and it was a countdown clock to 90 seconds, and then you did what you did, and you were done. So now, it was a were two you day doing battle. real time battles, or was it like yeah, real time stuff in your head? No, or? real time. Like I was off the top of the head, mm. off the head. So everything was that off was the important head. back then. For me, it was. I mean, the dudes I was battling wrote, and that was my that was my claim to fame was that whatever they wrote, I'd be like, yo, why'd you say that when you should have said it like this? And da 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 da. Now okay. you get me pissed because ba 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 ba, and you should have da 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 da. So you dissect. Oh, I would rip people apart. So the finals. Um, well, the next day at Webster Hall, it's top 16. And um, the first battle I have is with this guy, Raven T, from the Mighty Dismasters. Ah, oh, oh, part-time hustler. Yeah. Love that record. Love oh. that record. And he's baking people with mama jokes. Like, he's doing, like, hip-hop mama jokes. Right. So this is the only time I wrote in that whole battle. I'm like, oh, I got to come up with some mama jokes, like, to, like, slam. And I said a couple of them in rhyme form, and they were terrible, and I lost my flow. And I froze. And the crowd starts booing me, and I'm getting nervous. And then out of his pocket, he pulls out a piece of paper to get ready. And I went, oh. And I started pointing at the paper. I'm like, yo, that's how you say your rhymes off a piece of paper? Yo, somebody out the crowd, come get me a waiter so I can serve him a whole new plate of rhymes before he's done. Three, two, one, my job's done. Oh! (laughs) Slayed him. Slayed him. So, oh man, so, now yeah. you can't pull out. Where the paper. are the I have no idea. Like you are, you're naming. Well, wait, wasn't Craig G down with the crew that did uh, Veronica? No. You sure? You're talking about Craig G from Dropping Science, Craig G? Yes. No. I from thought... the Bad Boys, like Inspector Gadget. Bad Boys? I thought. Okay, no, I thought no, he was on that. No, okay, no, 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 okay. No. It was Mr. Mac. Um, I can't remember, but no, it wasn't Craig G. Okay, um, you're you're just naming like a slew of like. New York MCs and crews that were on local labels that were just killing it had impact for like one single, but never, never got to the right, promise land. Never yeah. got to promise like Dismasters, well, small time hustle. Like yeah, it was, if we, if the Roots ever do their eventual cover album one day <laughs> of like obscure shit, like that will be my solo joint. I think small time hustler was like the last. Rhyme, I'm a bite because I know no one don't know this shit. Right. <laughs> like it was it was just such a humorous, hilarious song. And what happened? I don't know. It was the bottom and the line. Rhythm is, radicals, like like after I beat him, I never saw him again. So I come off stage and Mr. Magic is behind me and he's skied up. And he's like, yo, white boy, give me the mic. I'm like, nah, I'm about to go on. He's like, Motherfucker, don't you know who I am? I'm Mr. Magic. I'm like, I don't give a fuck who you are right now. I'm about to go on stage. And they call me, and the dude douses me with a thing of water. So it was Red Alert was the judge. It was the dude from UTFO who almost OD'd, who went to rehab. Not a Kango kid. No, not Kango. Oh, the educated rapper. Educated rapper. And somebody, George Hinojosa from Rap Syndicate. Oh, wow. So they were were the, the judges. And I was battling this dude, Bango, who was signed to Rap Syndicate. Okay. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to worry about this dude. I said, yo, put the beat on. I got to tell you all the story. And then I went on a diatribe about how Mr. Magic was really Mr. Tragic and WBLS was really WBLFest because you couldn't get records played unless you put money under the table and a dude snorts Coke. And I'm going on. And I'm like, yo, I would never go to BLFest. I'd rather listen to Red Alert all day just going, yee. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, and you didn't feel no sort of because back then, wouldn't you get no. bum rushed for some shit? No, not nah, because I had all my people with me. 
Wow. So again, and I'm like educated rapper. I'm glad you're feeling better. And like, you know, like I just pointing to everybody. Real, real time raps. Yeah. Real time raps. Crowd goes crazy. Bango does this whole other verse about saving South Africa or some shit. Angola, Soweto, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Zambia, Mozambique, and Botswana. So let us speak about the motherland. So this to the hundredth. So he does that thing. So then I just take my name off the. Um, there was this big thing, and it was Delco, and I said my name is Search. I'm about unity, not black or white. I want to have a hip-hop community. And I'm just like going off the top of my head and like, and the crowd goes crazy, crazy. And I go backstage and they're about to do the voting and I feel somebody rubbing my shoulders and I turn around and it's Russell. And he says, if anybody asks you, tell me you signed the Def Jam. Wow. And my mother and my father were in the audience. Wait, what club? It was the Web Webster Hall, New Music Seminar. <laughs> Valley. Wait, 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 wait. Well, yeah, no, no, no. Wait a minute. Hall for the New Music Seminar battle. So they came with me, and I said, "Mom, I think I just got a record deal." Like yada da da da. But there were two problems to that. Tony Problem D. number one was Tony D. Mm. Problem number two was coordinating everything with Pete and getting that together because he thought I was a soloist. Right. So now I have a real attorney go through the Tony D contract. Right. And there's a bubble already in the street, like, oh, search a sign of the Def Jam, search a sign of the Def Jam. So in the contract, my lawyer finds a clause that says, if you want release at the fourth year of the contract, you can, at 30 days, send a letter of release to a P.O. box office in Brooklyn that I knew Tony never checked because that's where he sent all his bills. It was a really weird clause. Was, yeah, like, was, why was, would he? It was an escape clause. Well, why would he escape. provide that? I have no idea. Like I said, I think it was a boilerplate contract, and he didn't even really read it. So before I started negotiating with Russell, we sent him the exit clause. I had to wait six months, and I sent him the exit clause, and I sent it to that P.O. box office. And I sent it, and I was out of the contract. But when I did that, I also did released- Did Tony know that you did that? No. But when, I did that, <laughs> but when I did that, I also relinquished all the rights to Jimbrowski, all the rights to Hey Boy. And that next month- Red Alert did that $900,000 deal with the Jungle Brothers to Warner Brothers. So I lost all that money to that deal because I was a partner in Idler. So I had to give, I had to walk away from that. So they, it was uh, $875,000. So, um, wow. I'm sorry. $875,000 for Done by the Forces? Yeah, Yeah. Done by the Forces of Nature. So did you always think you were going to get the money? And the first deal? No, I knew my lawyer told me if he if they ever went and sold the masters that I would never get the money because this basically relinquished me from all rights. So I knew it was just like it was a wrap. It's a wash, yeah. It was a wash. So I was like freedom for a wash. You know, I looked at my career, the first half of my career, as these are the dues I will pay to get to blank. You know, I always thought that in the twenties you learn. Um at the 30s, mm-hmm. you churn, so you sift out, the, and then the 40s, you earn. Okay, yeah. And then yeah. the 50s, the 60s, oh, you I'm burn, and then the <laughs> 50s on, you return. <laughs> so you pay back. Okay. So that's how like, I kind of always looked at my life. And I always kind of, because of that plan, I always said, okay, I'm going to be here when I'm 30, I'm going to be here when I'm 40, I'm going to be here when I'm 50. Like, I always kind of try to map out my life and try to follow it. And it, of course it didn't go as I thought it would, but it, it was close. Like I said, okay, I'm going to be an executive producer of a record in 
94 and then you know Nas came out and I'm going to sign a production deal with Warner Brothers in 96 and then I did nonfiction. So repeat this mantra one more time. In, in the, the 20s, 20s you learn, in the 30s, 30s you, you churn. churn, so you in the 40s, out, you, yeah. 40s, you, 40s earn. you earn, in the 50s, 50s you return. return, get back. I was just making sure no one burned or anything. Right, <laughs> right. No, no, right. We no. Clean. Learning, learning, is, there's, there's burning and learning. Like you have to sometimes give up things to learn things. You also have to lose to learn. Those are the valuable lessons. Like, look, when the Roots got signed, you, you were like, it was a demo of you guys playing overseas. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, you know what I'm saying? Like right. you, you, when you did your deal with Wendy Goldstein, there was no even knowledge of the roots in the US. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like whatever deal you made, that was that was your learning period. Yeah. That was your learning curve. It was. And if it wasn't for those records, if it wasn't for those first two albums, you would not have established yourself the way you did. And then the rest of it was churning so sifting through people and right thank goodness you found richard in your life may he rest in peace and mm-hmm. then you had all of that and now is your earning period and you deserve that yeah and then you will return that and you you know so i'm saying like that's just no, i'm not returning no, no money to return, you no, right. <laughs> Shut up, it's not about me he just means return to these the world but then right. the why do you look at me like where my money <laughs> because yeah. i wanted to make sure you heard search when he said but then you will return it we talk about this a lot on this show so i just we have a lot I'll of people. You being here is returning. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but to get back, so the Def Jam deal kind of comes through, and Lior, who's now managing Rush, thinks still thinks I'm a soloist. So I'm doing records on the side with Sam Sever. I'm doing a demo as a soloist because mm-hmm. that's you know Dante Ross is now involved because he's you know my boy signed to Rush and like you know it's a whole different paradigm shift of who I'm dealing with like. Lior knew me because he'd seen me perform with Jam Master J, and Jam Master J introduced me to Rush. You know, it was just like mm-hmm. this whole connection of this insulated people that I grew up around over the last three years in hip hop. Right? I want to I want to ask you about Sam yeah, Sever, sure. man. Talk about him because he was just a guy I always thought never got the credit. You're absolutely he right. What's, You're absolutely what was his right. Story? What Sam was his started his career doing beats with Mantronics. Ah, um, all the early sleeping bag stuff, yeah. even like um, Hungry for Your Love. And the um, Hanson and Davis, Sims, Hanson and Davis, hungry, Troy Sims, hungry, hungry for your love. What? Yep. That was Sam Seven. <laughs> he did the percussion. He did the beats. So wait, what was he doing for Mantronics? He was doing the beats. Oh, Mantronics is the crew. Oh my and God. The, So yeah, God. so him and him and him wait, and I need a new one. Wait a minute. That's a good one. So. So Sam started his career for beats. It was Sam, Sam Sam and Mantronics together. Yeah. So all of that stuff. Hungry for your love. Joy Sims, uh, Colonel um, Colonel Abrams, Colonel Abrams. All of that. And then he did the beats for Tougher Than Leather, and that's how he got connected into Rush and Def Jam, and all of that. Really? Yeah. So Dante and Sam were best friends. They used to do graffiti together. Sam used to write Sever, and Dante Ross used to write System. So they used to do graffiti all the time. And Dante was like, "Yo, you got to." Hook up my man Sam. Sam will work on your demo for Def Jam, right? So I'm go- I'm doing these records, and I'm gonna keep it 100 with you. Like, I was happy with them because I would love being in Chungking, and I love being in the studio with Sam. And we would go to Sam's. He, I mean, he lived right around the corner on Canal Street. Mm-hmm. Like, we would be in his apartment. He'd have his SP. He'd have his Akai. We would demo, 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 and then we go in the studio, and then spend 12, 14, 15 hours in the studio, like Sam would just smoke weed and stay up all night and like be in the studio. And Kevin Reynolds, who was our engineer at the time, like it was just, it was just fun. 
but there was something that was like missing for me. Like, and I know you feel this and fine. I know you can relate to this. The Jews can't, but I know you can. <laughs> you know, when you make a record and there's that thing in the back of your neck, that's like not right. Mm, suspect. Like, yeah. Loved it when I said it, played it back. Mm, skeptical suspect. But maybe that's I how, can slide under the rug. And right. No, right. And nobody will notice, but they always do. They always notice. Like, that's how I felt about my demo. I'm like, uh, skeptical, little suspect topic. But eh, maybe I'm just being overcritical. And sure enough, Lior and Russell decide that the guy who created their deal at Def Jam at Columbia, a guy named Steve Rabowski, who went to A&M and was the president of A&M, he was looking for two soloists. There was a kid in Houston named Raheem. And there was a kid in New York named MC Search. And he was going to sign one of us. So Steve Rabowski is being lined up. Like, Lior's like, yo, you got to sign this, this kid. Search, he's incredible. So he's flying out to see me. And that same night, Dante calls Sam and says, yo, there's this dude, a friend of mine who I play ball with. He's stuck in the studio. Clark Kent was supposed to meet him. He fronted on him. He's got all this money lined into doing this demo. Like, can you, Sam, can you go over there and help him? And Sam goes to Chunking, and it turned out to be this kid named Pete Nice. And Pete Nice was working on this record that he had to sample from some alternative band. Okay. And the next day in the morning, Sam calls me. He's like, yo, dude, you need to come meet this dude. I'm like, who? He's like, Pete Nice. I'm like, I know Pete. Like, he's managed by Lamumba Carson. Like, I know Pete. Lamumba like, no, no, no. Uh, yeah. X-Clan? X-Clan, yeah. Wow. So I go to Sam's house, and there's Pete. And they play, they, I, they're like, yo, I got this sample. It's from this band, uh, Depeche Mode. Sam's like, yo, I freaked the sample. I added the drums and I hear. Right. Hard as hard as Chinese arithmetic. Avant-garde. Not a heretic. Stick out a right rhyme. Pick it in my cranium. Pete Nice Elementary like uranium. And I'm just like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm like, yo, I got a verse. We go back to the lab. So where's the wisdom we remix? No, original. We go back to the lab. We go to Chung King. I drop my verse literally in three takes. Then Pete does another verse, and I do another verse. And in the same breath, we do triple stage darkness, and we do one other record. Like, in, in a matter of hours. It's like an arranged marriage. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's know like, you know each other's last names? <laughs> no, we did. We didn't know. We know each other. Look, I'm going to keep it, like, 100. Like, I used to, like, laugh at Pete when he used to try to get in the Latin Quarter. Like, he'd be like, yo, sir, hook me up. And I'm like. Okay, pal. And then just keep it moving. <laughs> and now here he is, and he's like kind of a competitor of mine on Rush. And I'm like, huh, you know, and I'm like, all right, let's just form a group. And Sam's like, I'm going to be the DJ, and we'll be three the hard way. So prior to the recording, you and uh, Pete, y'all knew of each other, but didn't we know no, each other. Didn't know each other. Oh, no. wow. So wait, can I ask something? Sure. You remember the first time you ever heard Terminator X speak? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> and total, you realize yeah, he's right because of Pete's tough exterior. Like, was he really a dweeb and a geek? No, uh -huh. it wasn't that. He just had a lot of like because he played ball. He's very Sean Pennish. He's very Sean Pennish. That's a very <laughs> very good way to say it. he had a lot. Of oh, swag so that was with real. Him. Yeah, he had a lot of swag with him. Okay, um, or a lot of flavor. 
Okay. A lot of flavor with him. Spunky. Um, well, I felt, you, I felt <laughs> you had the flavor, and he was just really tough. The straight man. What transpired was I was like the street kid, and he was like cleaned up, and he had like the esoteric verses, but I always connected to the street dudes. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's kind of how we were always perceived. Like, he was in a suit and tie and in a cane, and I was always like, Minister be some, nice. Right. Pimp, yeah. Yeah. So, Steve Robowski comes to Chunk King, and me, Sam, and Peter sitting there, and this other dude that used to do AR who wound up doing stuff for like Slayer, a guy named Scott Koenig, is with Steve. And he's like, Yo, so search, tell me about yourself. And I'm like, Yeah, but it's not search anymore. It's this group called Three the Hardway. Check it out. And we play him Words of Wisdom. Dumping. Play him Triple Stage Darkness. Dumping. Play him Proc V Environment. Dump him. He's like, eh, I don't get the group thing. It's too much like the Beasties. And I'm like, wait, Beasties? What? Like, I said, we got credibility in the street. He's like, eh, let me think about it. So I'm like, okay, well, well you know, go think about it. An hour later, we're in the studio. An hour later, John King, who owns Chunk King, goes, uh, Lior, just cut all your funding. You're all fucking kicked out of the session. Oh, shit. You're all, you're all done. Get out. Get out now. I go to Rush. Lior is fuming. Like, yo, you had a fucking deal, you fucking cocksucker. You had a fucking deal. I gave you a fucking deal. You fucked up the deal with these two fuckhards. I don't even know who the fuck they are. And I'm like, wait, he's not signed to Rush? Fuck no, I don't know him, you fucking asshole. Wait, Get what? <laughs> right? Because Dante and Sam had made it seem like Pete was also signed to Rush. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't signed to Rush. He wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So I'll never forget. My mom was like, well, I heard about this thing called Hype Men. Can like Pete be your hype man and you'll be MC Search and it'll be featuring Pete Nice and you'll and he'll be your hype. With their knowledge. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, you know, we're a group. This it's just the way it is. And basically they kicked us to the curb. And it wasn't until that battle that Russell came back and was like, yo, if anybody asks, you signed to Def Jam. And that's how the circle kind of enveloped itself. So yeah. So when, when Russ came back, that was after Correct. they had kicked y'all out right. of Chung King right. and everything. Yeah. Oh, wow. If you're just joining us, uh, we're chatting with MC Search and his many, 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 many tales. The Great Adventures of MC Search. Man, listen. <laughs> this just, shit need to be a Netflix We didn't, we didn't even get on the road yet. <laughs> we didn't even get to the first single. All right, Search. Yes, you kind of You kind of passed a period that every guest that's been on this show... Uh, has gone through. You got to give us a Latin Quarter story. I, I have thousands. Dun, dun, dun. Give us the your Latin best three. Story. Best three? Number one for me of all time was Scott LaRock, may he rest in peace, KRS, and Melly Mel. Yes. So I, yeah. have you heard this story? So I, The push-ups. Q-Tip has told this story that he was okay. there. Okay. All right. So I, That's I a legendary one we've heard. What was Mel's role in... The Latin Quarter. Mel's role was he was... Like the heckler who let go? No, not a heckler. He was like Waldorf the elder... and... <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, the he Muppets. was the elder statesman. You know, there was this, this strange paradigm around 86, 87 that was more like there was the old guard. So you had Fearless Four with Problems of the World Today, and you had Mel and Grandmaster Flash, and then you had, you know, you had T. Rock. And you had all these great, and you know, Treacherous Three, and you had all of that. And then. So they were still coming to the Latin Quarter? 
Yeah, they were all like Busy B for sure. Busy B would do his routines, a bomb to the bomb to bomb. So was that wow. part of the first hip hop club to come to Manhattan? Yes. And was that a big deal? Yes. It was a huge deal. It started with Celebrity Tuesdays. The Awesome Two would have a, a showcase called Celebrity Tuesdays. They had the real, like, their show was like a big show in New York, their radio show. Okay. So they would have, like, celebrities come out, and then Paradise and Lumumba got together and started promoting Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at the Latin Quarter. And basically what would happen is all the Yardies would come out, like, they would do an after-hours after party, I mean, an after-work party, and then we would go in. You know what I mean? So the Yardies, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Fat Raul would be, DJ Raul would be the house DJ, and then we would come in, and then it would be the hip-hop night. Okay. You know what I mean? And now, then that's, how, how were, the, were the owners with this, or was it just like- So the owners were- Was it like Timberland, like, ah, okay, Black's here, so we might as well just- Just fucking accept it, enjoy, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, Mike Goldberg, it was weird, because Mike Goldberg, who is still alive and still lives in the city and owned the Latin Quarter from the 30s. And it's funny, you want to hear something crazy? My mother performed at the Latin Quarter. Crazy. Uh, 1938. Nice. Um, So he always knew that there was this vibe and this energy around this music. And his only concern was to keep people safe and to make money. Like, that's all he cared about. Like, he didn't want anybody getting hurt. And he just wanted to get paid. But like that was night. no. But every night, like somebody got hurt. Like every night, it was like ridiculous. So you would go there knowing, because the thing I can't understand is the fact that everyone that gives a Latin Quarter story really is sort of bypassing the risk factor involved. It was incredible risk. So, but you didn't really. So you still felt like oh, the energy was incredible. The energy was incredible. And in yo, there were so many great records. So many artists like Fresh Force. Like, they had a great record. She's a skeezer. And then all of a sudden, they become kid and play. Mm. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's a, like, I remember Fresh Force. And then I would see this group that did a crazy-ass record corny called I Like Cherries. Because cherries taste <laughs> better <laughs> and grapes are sour. And then a year later, they're the audio, audio too. And they yeah. do, top you know, billing. top billing. And, you know, Supernatural MCs, all of a sudden, they become salt and pepper. Like, it was all of this amalgamation. Like, I saw... Public Enemy performed, do their first show, and get booed the fuck off stage. Yeah, I, can you describe that? Because no one has the definitive... Okay, so they, Def Jam, booked like an album release party for, for Public Enemy. For a Yo Bummer show? Yes. Okay. It was a Thursday night, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of half empty, a lot of industry types, whatever. A lot of magazine people checking them out. And then the typical crowd that was in there, like, you know, 50 and Decepticons and violators and like all the you know five borough kids and they come on with my 98 Oldsmobile and all you hear is like boo and flavors dancing around and oh boo i mean it was horrific really it sounded terrible and they did one song and what people so they did you're gonna get yours yeah and it didn't go over no no and literally russell was like pulling them off stage and what people don't realize is the latin quarter stage even though it was 10 feet high was maybe only six feet wide so you really didn't have a lot of movement. So the S1s are trying to move around. And it was just, it was just, it was not good. Man, and then really? a year later. Yeah. So they, <laughs> really. And it became literally like, that became the song. Like, what was the song that you had to run The rhythm, the rebel, without a pause. I'm like, pip, 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 pip. That was tear the club up. That was, that was the tuck your chain, B. What? For about wow. three months, that record came on and you just danced your ass off. And tucked your chain in? No, you just danced your ass off. 
And that record became the biggest record in New York and the hypest record in New York. And month four, it was tuck your chain and get off the fucking dance floor. Wow. And the kids who were new jacks to Latin Quarter, they got robbed. Because all the other kids, IOU dances and all that, we were already on the side. We were just watching the girls yeah. violate. Like, they would just be like, pip! <laughs> Bamboo <laughs> earrings off! Chain off! Chain off! Pip, pip! Yeah, I, I, I will that say. Became, that became the record that, like, you just, that you knew. There was also Ultramagnetic. MCs. Ultra, oh, here we go. Ego trip. Off, off, the, off the floor. Off the floor. Wow. Really? Pip, 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 pip. <laughs> pip, pip. So when you hear these gunshots, not to gunshots, the that's people nah, getting that's punched in the face. The fuck out. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> gunshots are blocka, blocka, blocka. Pip, pip. Pip, pip, pip. Oh my God, Serge, you got so many this nigga moments. Lord have mercy. See, in my mind, Rebel Without a Pause was like, like, you were too young. How old were you in 1987? Eight. So, I mean, you might... But, did you have but, an older... Did you, did yeah, you trickle yeah. down economics? Like, yeah, I had... An older I, I, got, I had Bone Rush's show. My aunt at the time, I guess she was like... She was a trickle down? Guy. No, no, no. No, it wasn't her. My aunt was straight, like, black, yuppie. Okay. Phyllis Hyman, like... Ray R&B. Parker Jr. Oh, she was straight on these records. Straight on me. Oh man, straight Bo Huggins, baby. So, yeah, she was that. But my aunt, she had—I guess it was a guy she was dating at the time. He had the Public Enemy tape, and she had it in her. She had a little box. She would take the teach school. She was a school teacher, right? And so she had a little radio that she would take to school with her. And I'm shattered in her trunk, and there was a copy of Nation of Millions in the in the mm-hmm. radio. And I just played it, and I was like, what the fuck is this? And I just played it over and over and over. Dude, over. Nation of Millions was really a year after, like, Young Bum Rusher's show right. bricked. But mm-hmm. people did a rewind, because as soon as Rebel came out and Nations came out, all of a sudden, Yo comes out, and uh, I mean, they come back to it, and it's like, oh, this it's is genius. Right, 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 this right. Is, this is crap. Right. Like, this is, how did we sleep on this? So it was really one of these things where the Latin Quarter was really about the true energy of New York. So it was about music getting broke. It was literally the information superhighway because the five boroughs were in that building, even Connecticut, even some kids from like Rhode Island every once in a while, kids from Philly and DC. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was so if you ripped on that stage, within two days, everybody knew. You would get a call from me like your auntie in like Allentown. And like my, my Aunt Carol would call me and go, I heard you had a good show at the uh, Latin Quarter the other night. My student, Blase Splee. I mean, it was wow. like the information superhighway. So it was really like the center, the nucleus of New York music for four years was the Latin Quarter. And there were offshoots. Like, you know, you had the rooftop on 155th. Like, that was cool. And you had... Um, Union Square, and that was cool, you know. And you had little things like that, like Union Clark Square Kent. was a club. Yep, Union Square was a no club. No one ever on talks about Street. Union Square. Yeah, Union except Square. for from kids the, play. From right, the jazz, yeah. right. <laughs> no, Union Square had a, had a really cool vibe. Clark Kent was the DJ. The first Fresh Prince, uh, yeah, Jazzy the, Jeff and Fresh yeah, Prince the show live was that. From yeah, Union that Square. was oh, okay. Okay, that was yeah. the first time I ever saw Jazzy Jeff do the Bluebird Scratch. Right, was that at Union Square? Wow. In fact, I have a signed. Fresh Prince Jazzy Jeff record from Pop Art. Parents wow, just don't understand. Man. Really? Yeah. Jesus. Before they signed to Jive and all of that. Um, so there were definitely pockets, but then there were underground pockets. So you had the world downtown and like Ice T and Rom Syndicate. Like that's where Ice T got his start in New York with six in the morning. Like that that popped off in the world. 
Like that was, and Russell would be at the world. And then you'd go at four o'clock in the morning to save the robot across the street. And then save the robot was like underground reggae and like really dark, deep, dark, like rap records, like JVC for Strong Island. Like oh, you would man. hear it there. Like, you know what I mean? Or you would go uptown to the SNS on 145th and Lennox and Starchild would be in there and he'd be playing like unreleased shit. You know what I mean? And you'd be eating breakfast at like 11 o'clock in the morning after partying all night and do sh- shooting dice and like you'd leave it like 12 noon. You wow. know what I'm saying? Like, and you would be, you'd, and that was the rotation. That was the rotation for years. Like that was the rotation. 11, 11 to or 10 to 1 at the Latin Quarter, 1 to 2 at Union Square, 2 to 3.30 at the rooftop, 3.30 to 8.30 in the morning at SNS. You go get breakfast and then you'd head home. Okay, so I'm going to take this time. I see how cocaine got popular. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm tired. Listen. I'm going to take this time to segue into what I feel is your greatest story of all time. Uh, because I was shocked that he gave a performance at the Latin Quarter. But now that I think about it, or at least according to uh, um, uh, yeah. uh, at least according to uh, Dante, now am I to believe that Hammer performed at the Latin Quarter and it wasn't to Norvell? Or I get the feeling that Hammer did the New Music Seminar and it didn't go over well. That's correct. But so, it wasn't the Latin Quarter, was no, it? No, it wasn't Latin Quarter. Okay. It was um I don't rem- I don't remember, but it wasn't Latin Quarter. But here's the thing with Hammer. So and I'll get to that too. Okay. So I used to go on the road. I was basically Houdini's valet. I used to like iron their clothes and like I used to have like a list of girls that like in in San Francisco this girl can't meet this girl and Grandmaster D has this girl <laughs> over here and ecstasy and you know and like I used to, you know all of that. Wow. So they take me out to a celebrity basketball game and there's this new rapper in Oakland named Hammer who's doing his thing, right? And all of my boys are telling me, "Yo, you should battle him. He thinks he can dance. Like you should battle him. You should battle him." Right? So he pulls up in this white Cadillac and I'm like, "Yo, man, let's battle." He's like, who the fuck are that's you? That's how you say hello? Yeah. That's exactly how, I, like, I'm just ballsy New Yorker, like, fuck you. I don't care where you're from. I'm from New York and what. So I'm like, yo, I heard you could dance. Let's battle. And he's like, fuck you. I'm like, fuck me. B, come on. Come out the car. Let's battle. Right? He takes off. So I'm like, ah, oh, that kid's a pussy. Like, whatever. Right. Right? So we segue into like the new music seminar he gets booed like it's not gonna happen for him yada da 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 and then he does that whole yo you ain't hitting hitting in new york York. right and then that's a diss to run dmc which you just don't do it's sacrilegious it's just you don't especially because the beginning of the beginning no they didn't diss him new york just thought new york was yeah new york wasn't trying to hear him okay and Um, and that was a particular diss to run dmc well that's 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 what we all felt. Okay. We all felt that way. Whether that's true or not. Because in the video, it was like the the extras that he's dissing right. are dressed are, like Run like, DMC. Ah, right. That's exactly right. right. It's right. It's right. Yeah. But they that's didn't right. diss him per se. No, they didn't say, he never said F Run DMC and F Jam Master J. It just happened to be that they were in Adidas suits with hats on looking real Run, Run DMC. Run DMC. Side note. <laughs> so on, uh, uh, on Equimanized Chunky Fire, uh-huh. when they played that source clip at the end with, yo, we just want to say the South uh-huh. got something to say. I I, I kind of had I kind of got Big Boy to admit a little bit that they felt some sort of way about all East Coast rappers because we really weren't gelling with Outkast all that much yeah. in the beginning. 
Yeah. No, I mean, we cool as shit now, but like in the beginning, they had a chip on their shoulders because they just assumed that anyone who was at the Source Awards booing them as they got Best New Artist mm-hmm. was like a part of it. So obviously, y'all were there. So, you know, y'all like, was booing, right? Right. So, you know, this is like a general blanket thing. So now and I just, see. And for me, for Jam Master Jay to be the one in that room, in that basement, in Seagate in 1985, to co-sign me and tell me like, yo, meet us at the bus outside of Hollis Ave and like get on the bus with Runny Ray and all of us and open with Davey DMX and do what you do and him giving me like great advice on how to rhyme and rhyme flow and, and hanging out with Joey and DMC and just and being a part of that. Like my biggest mistake is I loved hip hop so much I felt I had to protect it at all costs. Like I really thought it was my job. The savior. <laughs> no, not the savior. Captain Saber Culture. <laughs> I felt like I was the knight at the round table who was the defender of the culture. I was... Because it had given me so much. Like it had given me the streets had given me so much. The quarter gave me so much. Like there were so many times that fifty was like, Yo, search, back out. We were about to stick this whole place up. Like, get out. Like these dudes were looking out for me. So it's like this motherfucker from Oakland, what the fuck you doing? You're whack. Your shit is whack. Period. It wasn't like, you know, F you as a human being. Right. But it was like, you're a whack MC. You're whack. I think you're the first person I ever heard call out someone's credibility. I mean, nah, not, I hear not, what you're not in yeah, terms of like LL and Kumo D going at each other. Or even no, no, no. LL and Ice-T. straight up saying you whack. Like you. Yeah. yeah like yeah. to me, yeah. And that, like when I saw the Gas Face video, I was like. Wow, they're they're really defending hard. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was us and Jam Master Jay with the hammer, and we had the two big MC lookalike grab the hammer and we right. kick him in his ass, and like, you know. So the real the beef really came about a line on Cactus. Yes, um, where Cactus we turned, basically Hammer's mother. Out. Hammer's but mother. But here's out. the thing, and again, like people who knew us, we would never diss somebody's mom. It was like, wordplay. Yeah, because we're album. Our album was much better than Turn His Mother Out. Cactus turned Hammer's mother out is like a that's a known fact. Like your shit is whack compared to the cactus. Nobody's checking for your shit 25 years later. My shit is still bumping. And that's unfortunately, but that's how I feel today as a almost a 50-year-old man. Like I'm still like, yo, your shit is whack. You know what I mean? So I took it on my shoulder. Like I was like, I have to protect this. Like I have to. So we're getting ready to come out to LA and um we're doing a whole week of promotion. Like, the Cactus is doing real well. We're doing a Product of the Environment Jeep giveaway at K-Day. You're like, there's all this cool shit. I'd never been to L.A. before, so I got Chantel with me. Pete got his girl, Roxanne. Daddy Rich got his girl, Monet. We're like, we're all, all excited. We're, mm-hmm. we're getting to JFK. We're getting ready to go on a plane. And there's a call that comes into Carmen Ashurst Watson, who is then the president of Def Jam. And we believe it was Louis Burrell. Hammer's mm-hmm. brother. Okay. And he says, yo, is Third Base still coming to L.A.? And she goes, yeah, why? He goes, good, they're dead, and hangs up the phone. So she's like, hmm, that's kind of weird. Like, So she calls Russell, and like, Russell, I think there might be a problem with Third Base. Like, I think they might be in danger. So Russell does what he does. He reaches out to the person who's closest to the street, which is Eric B. Mm-hmm. And he calls Eric Berrier, and, and he's like, yo, Eric, can you find out if there's something going on about Third Base in L.A.? Within 20 minutes, he gets <laughs> calls Russell back. He's like, yeah, there's a hit. There's a hit out on third base. <laughs> so Russell says to Eric, like, How yo. Does Eric, uh, Eric, well, Eric yeah, B is Eric always connected. Like, Eric yeah. B has always been connected. So me and Eric were tight. Like, and, and then something happened. I don't know. What, oh, no. I'll, I, I know it happened. 
let me tell the story real quick. I'm signed to Rush. Third Base album is about to come out. We got about three or four songs to do. Lior calls me out of the blue and says, hey, we got a problem with Rakim. He's got writer's block. I need you to write a song for Rakim. Mm. And I'm like, and just so you know, Rakim's my favorite MC of all time. And I ain't no joke. To me, Bar None is the perfect rap record ever made. Mm -hmm. Just period. So I was like honored. I was like flattered. Like, you're going to ask me? Like a, de- a white devil right, to ask right? God MC. Right, God God MC. MC. I'm going to write to God MC a verse? Yeah, I'm going to write him a verse. <laughs> I'm going to write a beast. So me and Pete come to my parents' house and we're like, what would, what would he say? What would, what? So I get into Rakim mode. I'm thinking about like, you know, paid in full and I'm thinking about all of this. And all of a sudden I, I write, ready in the intro, cue up the searchlight. Eric's to the center stage. stage. I grab the first mic, projecting the voice with this mic, then I'm cuffing. You ain't my knuckle, suck on snuffing. (laughs) The word of rock him stands true, so no panicking. Man versus man, you freeze up like a mannequin. That could be a rock. Whoa. Petro, you let go. Was that? Yeah, the the new jabs. The dweller pointer stepping on the trigger has a tune smack. That could be a rock him verse. B gave me the cue, so I'm going to put up a shut up until my jam is through. So now I want to freak him. So, and that's how I'm hearing Rakim's voice in my head. And I'm hearing him saying, now I want to freak him. So I'll embark Sparky Mission Posse the way past dark. I'm parked, there's no standing. I'll play the 5 oh, You don't stop moving until Rakim say so to keep the tribe hooping. Shooting out to play him. Me and Eric B keep stepping to the AM. Write the whole shit in 15 minutes. So I write the whole record in 30 minutes. I go next day to Lior. He's like, yo, I'm going to call Eric. And I'm amped. I'm excited. And when Eric picks up the phone and Lior goes, Eric, I had search, write a verse oh. for Rakim. Oh. I hear silence. Oh, and I get shook. Oh. And then I go, so um, Eric, this is the record I wrote called Step Into the AM. Click. Oh, man. And then Denise at the front desk goes, Lior, Eric B's on line two. He wants to talk to you by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm shook. Now I'm really shook. Like, I don't know what I just did. Like, I don't know what I just did. All I was trying to do is help. Like, that's all I was trying to do is help. Because they called you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm told by Simone, who at the time was the, the assistant for Russell and Lior, Lior doesn't want you to move until he tells you. Stay here and wait. That's all I get a message for. Mm-hmm. And I sat in that office for five hours. Wow. At 6.30, Lior called me upstairs. And he goes, why didn't you tell me you had beef with Eric B? And I said, I said, Lior, I don't have beef with Eric B. I don't, I, he's like, Eric hates you. He doesn't know why he would, you would think about writing a record for Rakim. He's fucking furious. I almost lost him as a client. And blah. He's going off on me. And I'm like, yo, I said, Lior, I had no idea. Like, I didn't know. Like, I, I started telling him the wine dance story. He's like, search. Fix yourself. Get the fuck out my office. <laughs> so fast forward, Eric B. finds out there's this hit on third base. Russell wait, says, wait, yeah, I'm sorry. Wait, oh, so, what, so what was the, the beef? Yeah. No, I don't know what the to this day I still don't know what the beef is. <laughs> I don't know what the beef. But all I know is Eric's reaction and telling Rakim that Rakim took two weeks to finish Follow the Leader. Uh, so I I don't know if there's a connection there, but whatever like whatever happened between Eric and Ra, like Ra 
either got over his right. And I'm not saying I had anything the to do is, with it. Right. I'm just saying, like, whatever happened with Eric and his conversation with Rakim, Rakim was motivated to finish Father the Leader. So Eric never stepped to me. Like, we never had a problem. But I, I will tell you that I had a problem with Rakim the same week with Hammer. And I'll tell that story, too. So um, Eric finds out there's a hit. And set, Russell says to him, well, yo, can you do something about it? And Eric says, nah, let it happen. And hangs up the phone. Wait, what? <laughs> right? Nah, let it happen. So Russell calls him back. This, and again, I'm hearing this secondhand from Russell and Carmen. Right. You know, but they call him back and they say, well, can you tell us who we need to talk to? And Eric says, yeah, this guy, Mike Conception. So they call Mike Conception and they say, Mike, uh, we hear there's a problem, you know, with third base. He goes, yeah, you know. We got to take care of those kids. I'm sorry. It's just, it's the way it is. And Russell's like, I can't, that can't happen. He's like, well, I'll tell you what, because you're Russell Simmons, we'll just hurt them from the waist down so they could still do television. (laughs) (laughs) What does that even mean? It means that he was going to put us in in chairs. So Russell's like, that can't happen either. How do we stop this whole thing? And my conception says, okay, there's two ways that we can stop it. He goes, because, you know, there's like 50,000 members of the Crips that already know about the hit and <laughs> yada, yada, yada. He's like, so there's two ways that this can happen. Yeah. He said, I'm having a hard time getting a distribution deal for a record that I'm trying to do about peace, gang peace, called We're All in the, the Same, same Gang. gang. Yeah. He's like, if you can help me get distribution. The irony. Right. <laughs> right. If you can help me get distribution, that would be A. And B, tomorrow night's the American Music Awards. I want to sit next to Michael Jackson. Tomorrow night. So yeah. this is literally yeah. have 24 hours to make this happen. Right. So they call Donnie Einer and Tommy Matola, mm-hmm. and they basically say, yo, Donnie, I need your tickets for the American Music Awards. Don't ask me why. This is some street shit. I need your tickets. Mm-hmm. And Donnie's like, I'm sitting next to Michael Jackson. Like he's, gonna, he's about to be the most celebrated artist of the decade. He's like, you don't understand. We got a guy in, in a wheelchair who's going to need to sit next to Michael Jackson. And sure enough, 1990, American Music Awards. I watched it last night. He's sitting right next to to Michael Jackson. So we're in the air like, L.A., yeah! Not knowing. Not knowing (laughs) shit. Not knowing shit. With your women. And we touch down, and I got my girl, and I'm hugging up on shit. Oh, my God, we're in L.A. It's going to be great. Yada, da, da, da. We come out the gate, and this is not back. This is Pre 9 11, yeah, like, right, yeah. you, and he, you're smoking cigarettes in the front, in the <laughs> gate, like, you know, nothing. We come out the gate, it's all of us stuck together. All of a sudden, 10 dudes put a black tarp over our head. <gasps> no, no. And they go, move, 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 everybody out of the way, move, move, move. Put your head down. Third base, put your head down. Everybody put your head down. Move, move, move. And I'm bent over, and I can see Pete next to me bent over, and I look over to him, and I go, Oh my God, we're bigger than the Beatles. <laughs> I thought it was a good thing. <laughs> and they move us into this armor-plated van and keep your heads down, keep your heads down. And I'm like, oh my God. We're killing it. We're killing it. <laughs> we're about killing to be it. Like, yo, we are huge. Like, I didn't know we were this huge. We're fucking huge. And they pull up into the Hollywood. Yo, Hyatt. Sound like, like was she arm pressed and everything? Yeah, we were all kind of were. We didn't they know what was going on. They had to explain on. to you? No, nobody explained shit. Did you go to baggage claim or anything? No, they picked up all our shit. <laughs> the, the, everything. They had a guy pick it up. Oh, we God. We go to the Hollywood Hyatt. They take us to the top floor. I mean, top floor where Little Richard had his condo. Right. Oh, right. That we take, and the whole floor is blocked off. 
Like, no one, no one can go into their room, except for Little Richard. Every other condo Wait. is locked off. Everybody's locked off. We have security at the front at the elevators. Everybody's being checked. There's a list of people that are only allowed on the floor. That's it. Like, and I'm like, oh, fuck <laughs> the Beatles. I'm bigger than the fucking Beatles. And, so and, and this is, the, the album is out. How long has the Cactus album been out at this time? Two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Two weeks. Two weeks. Oh, my God. This is the impact I had on music culture. Right. Oh, my God. Two, Two weeks. weeks. <laughs> Two weeks, I'm bigger than the Beatles. This is the only way I would be treated like this. Either I'm Beatles or the or Menudo. Menudo, right, right, right. So I'm able to sneak by security. I don't know how I did it, but I get downstairs, and outside the hotel is Rakim and Supreme. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, Rakim. Supreme, like. Yeah, Supreme, Supreme Mathematics. Uh, yeah, Supreme. So I go up to Rakim, and I said, Ra, what, are you here to see me? And he said, yeah. I said, I said, I'm, what, what can, he's like. Yo, I'm going to take you around this hotel. I'm going to beat your ass real quick. Wait, say what now? Wait, what? And I said, wait, what? And I said, what? <laughs> and I said, what? He said, yeah, man, you know, that's seeking a settlement, stunt seeking a settlement. I know that was about me, man. Eric told me that shit was about me on that 7 to the AM joint. So I'm going to come beat your ass real quick. I said, Rakim. And my voice got real high. <laughs> I was like, you're my favorite rapper of all time. I would never diss you. That's crazy. I love you. You're my fucking man. Like, I would never diss you. Are you crazy? <laughs> Supreme's looking at me like stone faced, like and Supreme had looked out for me like a million times, and like all of a sudden he's like on the other side. Man, Uncle Mel, my security guy, he grabs me. He's like, "Get inside, get inside right now." And I'm like, I, "Whatever." He takes me upstairs. He takes me to my room. He explains the whole situation um, that there's this hit and all of this, and there's a lieutenant coming to stay with us named Pookie. And I was like, this is some bullshit, man. I'm Not like, an officer, lieutenant. <laughs> no, this guy, a lieutenant. And, I, and I'm like, this is bullshit. I'm like, yo, man, I want to go to the, I heard about the Beverly Center. Like, I want to take my girl to Beverly oh, Center. No, Can no. we get the fuck out of here? Like, this is bullshit. And they're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I, do you think this is bullshit? All of this is, I'm like, right. yeah, this is some bullshit. This is, this is not real. I'll fix all of this. This huh? is not real. So Pookie comes in. And Pookie's like this 6'3 skinny dude, and he got little welts, like, all on his arms. Right. And I'm like, yo, what's up with the mumps? He's like, ain't mumps, motherfucker. These are bullets. <laughs> oh, shit. And I'm like, okay. I was like, well, then, yo, take me to the Beverly Center then. You're supposed to hold me down. Hold me down. Take me to the Beverly Center. And Uncle Mel's like, yo. T-, and, and, and Pookie's like, no, 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 no. Little homie wants to go to the Beverly Center? We'll take him to the Beverly Center. No problem. Let's get in the van. So, just to ask you, yeah, you didn't think after hearing that story, you still didn't think it can't be that serious. No, no, New York attitude. Fuck I mean, that. even I'm, college I'm been out like you. <laughs> fuck that. I'm you don't want to rent that. This shit ain't real. No, shit ain't real. That's some New York shit. Yeah, I'm. I'm on some. I'm on my New York shit for real. Like, fuck you. I'm from New York, and everything else is bullshit. I'm from New York. You but you understand is, mob mentality. I do understand it, and it wasn't real. It had to be hyped. It had to be exaggerated. This was bullshit. It couldn't be real. There's no way this is real. Like you I'm refuse to go down for my hammer. My girl Chantel is with me now. You're embarrassing me in front of wisdom. <laughs> I want to go to the Beverly Center. 
My wisdom, my earth is with me. My you are earth em- is with me. You I are embarrassing you. in front of my earth. Like, I want to go to the Beverly you Center. You are embarrassing me in front so, of my earth, God. So, P- so Pookie's like, no, 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 no. Little homie want to go to the Beverly Center. No problem. So Uncle Mel and Pookie and me and Chantel, we go. I asked Pete, yo, Pete, you want to go? He's like, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good here. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, all right, you say, pussy. You pussy, this ain't real. <laughs> so we go to Beverly Center. And for those who are listening, the Beverly Center had this big... Um, circular area like in an in elevate escalators that go down and it had this like balcony that goes all the way around so we came up to the balcony area and there's this escalator that goes down and at the time there was like a foot locker and a little hangout area mm-hmm. and Pookie's like oh you know some people just noticed you why don't you go down there I'm like no fucking right I'm gonna go down and see my fans I'm Fucking, I'm Elvis. So in this you bitch. look like MC Search. Yeah, high top, high fade, top fade, the whole shit. Oh, third base cutting the back. Uh, Sub Rock did it crispy too for the for the album release party. Uh. Crispy, crispy. Go down, little Mexican chicks. Oh my God, MC Search, I love you. Blah blah blah, blah blah blah. I'm signing some autographs. I'm feeling good about myself. I'm waving to wifey. Yada da da. See some guys coming this way. I'm like, ah, guys over here coming this way. Da 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 da. I'm signing autographs. All of a sudden, the dude that's coming this way, he pulls the bandana up across his mouth, ah. goes to get the ratchet, and then I hear, I hear this whistle, loudest, ah, loudest, yes. loud mm-hmm. whistle, and they all look up, and Pookie does some gang signs. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. He does this, and the dude comes right into my face. He pulls down the mask. He goes, man, I love y'all motherfucking third base. I was finna smoke you, but you know, I, I love y'all motherfuckers. Yo. Yo, and I and I I'll tell you right there it was the only time as a grown man I almost peed on myself. <laughs> and the other two dudes behind him were like, "Yo, we good?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yeah, this shit is over. This shit is good. It's good." And I was like, "Get me to the fucking hotel right now." Wait, Get can me I to ask the fucking hotel right now? Can I, ask- I? I was so scared. I don't even remember the ride out of the Beverly Center back to the Hyatt. <laughs> what? Damn. What was the? Do you know what the value was? Fifty thousand dollars. Yo, fifty G's. Back in nineteen eighty nine. Fifty G's. Fifty thousand dollar hit. Wow. Yo, 50, for both of y'all, or just one. No, for both of us. Anybody who got to us, it had to be both of us. Dead, not injured. Dead, dead. So we go back to the hotel. I now tell Pete shit is real. And Pete's like, yeah, motherfucker. I, yeah, you didn't notice all of this shit? <laughs> you know, but I was slow. I'm Polish Jew, slow. And um, so now we have to figure out all this strategic movement because Def Jam had put so much into this, this next three days. Like, we're giving away Jeep on K-Day. We have this album release party. Fox 5 is doing a special on us. You know, we have all these moving parts that we can't just cancel. Like, God forbid Russell and Lior should cancel something, right? Right. Like, you know, we have to do all of this. And Pookie assured everybody that nothing would happen to us. As long as Pookie's with us on our side, if anybody saw them and he did this, Mm. the gang sign, we were good. So we did not move out of the hotel. We didn't move. Right. The next morning, we had to do the Mac attack. Greg Mack had the morning show on K-Day. Lisa Canning was his news person. It was like the only 24-hour rap show in the country. It was the AM station. It was on this little dirt mountain with an antenna. Like it was in the middle of nowhere. And it literally said K-Day. And we went in. 
And it was the night after the American Music Awards. And I didn't know anything about the American Music Awards. I just, I didn't know anything about the deal. I didn't know anything. Right. We just went to Greg Matt, you know, to do the morning show and give away this Jeep. And um, so we sit down and Greg Max, hey, what up, third base? How you guys doing? I'm like, oh, it's cool. I'm cool. Yeah, you know, yada, 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 yada. Okay, good, good. You know, it's great to have you on. You know, this is Lisa Canning. Oh, Lisa, what up? Yeah. Cracks the mic. Oh, you know, we got third base in the house, product of the environment, Jeep. We're going to give it away. But first, we got a special guest on the line. No. Oh, wow. Live from the American Music Awards, winning five awards last night, including Album of the Year, MC Hammer. Hammer, what's up? Say hello to third base. Oh, I didn't know this part. Shit. And I look at Pete and I said, this motherfucker just set us up. He set y'all up. And Hammer goes, hey, Greg, you know, hey, Hammer, how are you, brother? Nice to you. Know, hey, congratulations. What do you got to say third base? Yeah, man, you know, I just, you know, I, I don't understand why, you know, you had to diss my mom on that record. And I'm, and I'm like, re I'm heated. I'm heated. And I was like, yo, ain't nobody diss your matriarchal, you idiot. Like, nobody dissed that. You know, I was like, and you know what you did. Why don't you come get this ass whooping, you punk? You a bitch. Hey, watch your language. No, and you a bitch too, Greg Mack. You a punk bitch. Why don't you go you to the line? You said that to Greg Mack? Yeah. I said, why don't you go to the phone, see who L.A. likes better. Third base of Hammer, that punk bitch. He's like, hey, watch your mouth. This is live radio. I was like, yo, I'll say a whole lot worse, you bitch. All right, we're going to go to the lines. <laughs> right? Going to go to the lines. First caller. Oh, I love third base. I love the Hammer's whack. Hammer gets a gas face. Next caller. Oh, I love Hammer. Third base is whack. Those wannabes, da-da-da-da-da, they're whack. Next caller. Oh, I love Hammer. Hammer's dope. You know, ha third base is whack, blah, blah, blah. Next caller. I love third base. Yo, search is dope. Pete is dope. Hammer's whack. I don't know this whole thing about this and that, yada, da, da, da. We're going to take more calls after this, and, you know. Right. So then he starts taking more calls. And I'm telling Mel, I'm like, yo, Mel, if you want to fucking smoke this motherfucker, go ahead, man. I'll give you $10,000. You put a bullet in this motherfucker's head. And Greg, like, the Greg legendary Mack. Greg Mack. Yeah. And he's like, yo, you need to fucking calm down. And I'm like, calm down. Like, you just set us up our first time in radio. Like, this is some good radio to you. P.S., it was good radio. Yeah. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. But I'm like, you know, but I'm insulted and I'm, I'm young and I'm dumb and I'm full of cum. And I'm like, yo, I'm going to fucking smack somebody. So he goes to the callers. He tapes two or three calls. It's between Hammer and yada, da da da. And then he takes a live call. Caller, who's this? Rolling 60 crib, we coming for you. Pip, two, oh, that, time to go. Next to that. Everybody out. There we go. Mac didn't know what was going on. He had no idea. We get in the van. We start going down the dirt road. There's these two 64s that come this way. Oh, Lord. Six dudes come out with ARs and ratchets and like, and Pookie jumps out, whistles, does this, some wild side, like, Steal third base if he bunts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he just gave the, the catcher's uh, sign. He gave catcher's signs. Signals. Yeah, he gave some signs. Squeeze. And those dudes get back in the car and they just back out. Wow. So now the real problem is. Oh my god, man! That that, the, that night we have to go to the palace and perform, uh, and it's like everybody tell the entire audience. No, no, no. There's no way to stop it. There's no way to stop it. There's like 3,000 people in the palace. And they've been there since like 6 o'clock in, in, uh, in the afternoon. <laughs> so this is a, a logistical nightmare, 
as they say in in the tour business, right? <laughs> there were blue cars circling oh, the palace, God. all on Hollywood and Vine, just blue cars, tons of blue cars, tons of blue cars, and. We can't figure this out. Chantel is crying. Our girls are crying. Like, oh, my God, you're going to die. Not like, one person said, hey, let's cancel Lily. No, definitely not. There was no way to can- Like, Russell and Lior put our lives in jeopardy. They were not canceling nothing. Because Pookie, short, and he got him the seats, and yada, yada, yada. So what Lior and Russell did was send their guy Big D, who used to be the be tour with, manager uh, for Run DMC. Run DMC. Yeah. He sent. How do you know that? Uh, from the it was one of these uh, documentaries. Have I you watched, met Fonte? Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So Big D comes in, and his job is to stay next to my conception the whole time. Like his job is to act like my conception security, right? Because he wants to make sure that Mike's going to keep his word of the his word his bond. The next day, he's doing the final recording. The same day we're doing the palace. Hammer's recording his verse for We're All in the Same Gang, and Mike Conception's there, and Big D is there. Mm-hmm. Hammer, before he goes into the, and I got this from D. Before he goes in, he says to Mike, hey, can I talk to you a second in, in you know, private? He's like, yeah, but my security guy come with me. He's like, yeah, that's fine. They go into a room, and D literally said, Hammer turned, at, tur- turned to Mike and said, why ain't they dead yet? And Mike said, yeah, that's not going to happen. But I'll tell you what. If anything does happen to third base, I'll kill your brother, your mother, your father, your sister, your cousins. I'll come to Oakland and wipe your whole fucking family out. Now get in the fucking booth and do your verse. What? And to this day, me and my conception are like this. To this day. So Hammer goes, does his verse, and we're like, how are we going to get into our own party? And Uncle Mel says, I got it. We're going to dress them as security guards. (laughs) <laughs> wait, 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 what? There's no way this is true. Dude, I'm kidding. True. Of course, it's true. <laughs> absolutely true. Right? So he says, We're going to dress you up as security guards. So we put on the CSC security jackets, Kevlar. I cover in my high top fade with a Scully. Pete's guy, and we got gla- dark glasses, and my and my girl's crying, and like it's all upsetting, and everybody's upset. And we sneak into the venue. And like they make a they make a comment like everybody who's wearing blue blue jeans you can, you got to get out and Pookie has now like ten dudes with him and they're like checking the audience and we're backstage for like two hours and Pookie's like yeah venue's clean nobody's here yada da 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 can yeah. I ask something sure how come Pookie just didn't come out on stage first and, and then give the signal gave <laughs> the, the baseball signal I don't know I don't know. I don't know. Oh, Pookie's my God. Like, Pookie's right. like the original like Twitter. Steel. Yeah, steel. right. Yeah. Yeah. Pookie is Twitter. <laughs> so we find out it's all clear. It's all good. The girls come in. NWA is there. I take a picture. I gave NWA. I gave Easy my third base. Gives him the gas face hat. I wore the Oakland Raider hat. We're taking pictures with Dre and DOC. And De La Soul is there. LL jumps on stage. Does a freestyle. Like, have a great night. Great night. Everything's peace. All done. And that's the MC Hammer story. Wow. And Mike Conception, he's still alive. <laughs> still alive. Lives he's, in Malibu. Oh, wow. Lives in Malibu. Okay. He's still paralyzed, but, you know, he lives in Malibu and still involved in the music business. And if you and MC Hammer are in the same room today. So let me tell y'all a story that you don't know that I saved just for Amir. I didn't even Quest. know the, the part you've been, two. You've been blowing his mind the entire yeah, evening. Right. It, so, <laughs> like, the first time I heard the story, it stopped at. My conception on sitting in the audience. I didn't know about right. yeah, great Mag and none of that shit. Okay, so 
I saved this just for you. <laughs> so about two years ago, I get a call from a producer friend of mine who did a movie called Black Dynamite. My man, Scott oh, Sanders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott. Oh, yeah. okay. Scott says, yo, I just heard you and Moshe Kasher on The Champs. We want to do a movie on the Hammer story. The only problem is we got to get Hammer to say okay to it. And I'm like, okay. I said, cool. You know, he's like, are you going to be okay with that? And I said, let's take it one step at a time because I don't think Hammer will ever say it's okay to make this this story. And, you know, because basically, (laughs) and I didn't know this, but I found out later that even – the idea, and I forget what it's called, but even to commit murder, the um, oh yeah, conspiracy. It's, it's conspiracy. There's no statute of limitations. You go to jail for any t- for cons- conspiracy <laughs> to murder is a 25 year sentence, regardless if it happened in '89 or '96 or yesterday. So it takes about a year, and they finally sit down with Hammer and his two agents from CAA, right? And I get a call from Scott, and you know, this is a process that's been taking a year. So I get a call from Scott. He goes, yo, you sitting down? <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, what's up? He's like, I met with Hammer. And I said, really? I said, he said, yeah, Hammer wants to do the movie. <laughs> oh, my God. But did that make the movie? I will so be in the front row with popcorn. He said, Hammer has one request. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. That at the end of the movie, he's the hero that his mom said he shouldn't do the hit, and he didn't do the hit, and he's the hero of the oh, movie. Oh, no. No, no, no. Uh, and I said, you know what? Fuck it. It's Hollywood. It's all good. He's like, he's like, but would you do press with him? I was like, hell no, I'm not doing press with him. I don't want to be five feet near him. He's like, wait a minute. You know, the red carpet. I said, fuck all that. I said, yo, if I give him this So you've cre- not seen him? Never seen him face to face. And I'll tell you about the YoMTV raps, the last one. I'll tell you that story, too. So never, never, right? So we start going through the negotiations. We start talking to, and and the first person we go to is Seth Rogen. And he's like, yo, I want to fucking do this movie. Like, I want to fucking do it. Like, no doubt, I want to do it. But Hammer didn't know I, I was still telling the story. Right. And it gets back to him, I did the champs. Right. Wow. And he hears the story, and he's like, oh, fuck, sir. He can't, he can't let that shit go. Fuck him. And the movie was dead. So the closest I ever got to Hammer was the final YoMTV raps. I'm I'm now senior the, VP. The big giant cipher. Yeah. I'm senior VP at Wild Pitch. I get a call from Ted Demi, may he rest in peace. Like, yo, we're doing the final yo, come through. I come through, and I was just in some work shit. Like, I wasn't even like stage dressed or nothing like that. And I got like ten goons with me. Like, I'm already with like nonfiction, so they're just a bunch of goons. And we come in and. For whatever reason, there was no metal detector, and like three of my boys got their ratchets with them, and like we're just, you know, but we're not thinking anything bad. We're just like, you know, just coming from the street. My yeah. boys were from Brooklyn, whatever. We do the cipher. I do my little verse. Everybody does their little verse. Ed Lover comes over. He goes, "Come on, man, it's the last show," and they're taping this. He goes, "Yo, it's the last show. Hammer's back there. Like, come on, let's make peace, man. Let's just the last young TV raps." And I said, "Hammer's here." I was like. <laughs> All my boys pulled out the ratchets, started going through the crowd like looking for Hammer. Hammer ditched. He went down into his car and took off. What? The very last episode? Yep. 
Is that on air when Ed said no. that? Okay. No, they, ne- they, <laughs> never yeah, aired it. they never aired it. That didn't make the cut. Oh, God. Oh, That's I, the closest I've ever been to face-to-face with Hamill. Well, I guess if somebody threatens your life and your family, you really it's kind of hard. Yeah, it's kinda... you know, it's funny. So I've been in recovery for five years. Like, uh, 11-11 is my anniversary. I've been in recovery, and I'm I'm at the step of recovery, making a... Drinking or drugs or... Drugs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Marijuana. Oh, wow. Specifically, okay. I was... It was bad. Um... And a lot of it was to numb a lot of pain that I was dealing with that I, I just didn't want to face. And um, I'm coming up to the eighth step, which is amends. And my sponsor doesn't really understand my career. Like, you know, he, he doesn't care about it. But I told him I have this, this amends I have to make with someone who really wanted to do bodily harm to me. And he said, the eighth step talks about making amends with people unless it will cause injury to them or others. He's like, so... Technically, if you don't want to make amends, you don't have to. You don't really have to. It's really up to you if you think it'll do damage to that person. And I was like, I don't think it'll damage that person, but if he says something smart, I'm going to definitely knock him the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? Like, So it's like it's one of these things that I battle with as a grown-ass man even to this day. Like, I'm 49 years old. Like, let it go. You know what I mean? But then I think about that day. I think about the black tarp. I think about... The guys with the, the masks. I think about going into my own party as security. I think about Greg Mack. And it's all like yesterday. No, that's trauma. That's trauma. You know, it's yeah. all like yesterday. And it's a part of me that's like, fuck, I got to let it go sometime. Like, when am I going to let it go? Like, when am I just going to let it go? Mm-hmm. So everything happens for a reason, right? So this year we, we were doing a TV show called They Call Me Search. Uh, we're in the process of shooting the pilot and getting the sizzle and getting ready to shop it and that's where i'm going to make peace with it that's what's up that's what's up that's where we're going to do an episode where i make peace with it just about your life the show and the show is about my life and this is you and hammer y'all want to do it no 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 it's ain't got nothing to do with him this is me my this is all my stories oh okay in a series a docu-series not even a docu-series okay no Mm. 30 minute dramedy whoa All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, 
their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. If you're just joining us, you are breathing a sigh of relief. <laughs> All right, it's Questlove Supreme. Uh, we're here with MC Search. About so, the search. Uh, oh, what were you saying? I was just asking about the the Cactus album. We didn't even really. Get I to know talk we didn't even get album. to the. <laughs> we went straight to the damn <laughs> we streets went to, to the shootout. We went from Latin Quarter to him. Uh, um, yeah. So, I how long did y'all spend on working that record, man? So recording it. So the record took us a year to record, and it sat on the shelf for two and a half years. Are you serious? Wait, 87? Yep. We worked on it in 87, and it didn't come out till November of 1989. So from Wait the time minute. from when you were, y'all were at, uh, when you did the battle, mm-hmm. Russ comes and is like, hey, tell him you're on right, Def Jam. We, so, signed, we signed six months later, then we worked on the album. For, so a year and, and a half. And y'all signed as a duo. When you was it UNP. done? Okay. Yeah. When was it finished? End of 1987, early 1988. And Russell, Whoa. what the problem was, Russell and Lior didn't think we had a hit on the, on the album. That was Russell's real big deal. It's like, we didn't have a hit. So when I wrote Step Into the AM for Eric B and Rakim, I was like, fuck it. This shit is dope. If, he, if he's not going to use it, me and Pete are going to use it. So I called, um, I called Dante. I was like, yo, Dante, can you hook us up with like Eric B and Sadler and Keith Shockley and those guys? Like, I want to go out to Hempstead. I want to demo this song. And um, we did it. In about a day, day or two, we did it with them out there. Vietnam, Keith, Hank. Did you watch the them together. work? Yeah, of course. Can you please describe to me, like the watching the bomb, bomb squad. squad? So Keith was really, like I like to call Keith the instigator. Keith would find the samples. Like Keith was the guy who would like dig through the samples. And he was really the instigator. He'd be like, yo, say that rhyme again. Like say that. So you no, say no, no, the say rhyme that. first. Yeah, say, say the, the rhyme again. Right, and then they would and Vietnam would start putting the beats down. Right, and then he'd be like, "Oh, I got the sample." And they had that back wall with like fifty thousand records, like right. the whole back wall. He was like, "Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah." And then Keith would be like, "Oh, wait, wait, I got this. I got this. I got this for that. I got this for that." Da 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 da. And then they would lay it down and be like, "All right, go into the go into the booth. Pete, you start. Do your verse first. Search, you come in, da 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 and then we go back and forth. And then we were like, nah, 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 nah. Let us do our verse like that. Oh, okay, okay, okay. We're going to lay the beat down over here. You guys go figure out your verses. And, and, and it was really like Vietnam was the instigator, and then Keith was the agitator. He'd be like, yo, that shit, nah, let, da 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 And then we'd go back and forth. And Hank would literally was the one who came in and did the final mixes. Uh, so Hank would come in. He would tune everything. He would hear everything. He'd listen to both speakers. He'd nod, yes, and then he was out. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was like the orchestrator. Hank was like Puffy. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. no. I wouldn't say. Well, I don't, I've never seen Puffy in the studio in no, all due respect. I've seen him in action. No, no, no. He's, like, I know they get oh, he, he don't do no real. Like, he doesn't do the work per se. Like, I felt that Eric, 
Eric was the technology the technical, guy, he, yeah. and he was. And then Keith had the the information that and of the records true. to use, right? And Chuck did all the voices stuff, right? And and, and then and then Hank would kind of tune everything, and Hank was the the guy who would sit with the mix engineer and make sure the mix was tight and everything was dope. Well, I mean, for and seven, it's funny, and in the, and the funny thing, I just got to tell you the side mm-hmm. joke because you know my family. So one night we're in the studio, and we're gonna take a break. So we go to Irving Plaza, me, Keith, Vietnam, Pete, Daddy Rich. We go to Irving Plaza, and at the time Keith was kicking it to some shorty, right? Mm-hmm. And he's going up the stairs in front of us, and I go and I go to give somebody a pound behind me, and all of a sudden I hear, "Oh, oh, stop, bitch, stop, oh, oh!" And I go upstairs, and Keith is getting pounded like to the midsection by this little five-two shorty. She's just pounding him, and he's doing the right thing. He ain't hitting her, mm-hmm. but he finally like gets her off of him, and yada da da da. And I look, and it's Chantel. <laughs> That's, That's how you met Chantel? No, it's not oh. how I met Chantel. So we became friends, like just through the club scene. And I always kind of, I, I called her Lefty. I was like, yo, what up, Lefty? Because she, she had that wicked left. And um, she would always see me like coming to clubs with all different chicks and like da 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 da. And her favorite record was Super Ho by BDP. Uh-huh. So she would always call me. The Super Ho. She's like, oh, there goes Mr. Super Ho. So um, me and Pete used to host a party at Irving Plaza um, on Wednesday nights. And she used to come and check us out and yada, da 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 And she always thought I was kind of whack as an MC. She didn't really like me. So we had recorded we had recorded Step Into the AM, and we were just finishing up the album. Mm-hmm. And um, I get an invitation through Russell to Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing um, after party. Right? Right. So I get a pass. And it's for two people. And um and it's the date was March uh was like March eighteenth. Okay. And um I call Bobito, I call my man, I call cool Bob Love. I'm like, Bob, come with me. He's like, Bet. He's like, I'll meet you down there. I was like, All right, you know, doors open at six. What time are you gonna meet me? He's like, I'll meet you there like seven. So I get down there like five thirty, like a little early, right? And the crowd is like so you know, so on hip hop of you. No, it's so on hip hop. But it was an early party. It was a, it was a rap party. It wasn't okay, like a hip hop party. It was okay. Spike throwing a party. Oh, a Red real Alert party. was DJing. Like Red Alert was DJing. Right. Um, and at the time, Red Alert was dating a girl named Darlene. And then there was another girl that was Sabrina, who was literally the the first super head of hip hop. Like she was like <laughs> she was like that was that was and that, that was, was a claim to fame. It was a claim to fame. And I went to high school with her, so like I kind of knew like that was her shit. And then there was another girl, and then there was another girl, and there was Chantel. And what was happening is my man Big Daryl was doing the door, and he was just taking the girls in one at a time because they didn't have passes. But he was, like, hooking them up and letting them in. And I was like, cool, you know, I'll just hang out and kick it with y'all. And I had my Walkman and my cassette of my demo and the whole thing, and then I didn't see Bobito, so I went to the pay phone. He's like, yeah, man, I ain't coming. I'm not, you know, not going to be there. So I, I come back out and I was like, you know what? You guys go in and when whoever's last, I can take them in with me because I got a plus one. So they all go in and Chantel's the last one. And I'm like, oh, you want to hear my demo? She's like, cool. And like she was always cool with like Q-Tip and, and Fife. And she was always cool with everybody in the native tongue. So she had a really good ear. So I was like, damn, if Chantel likes this. like, So she listens to it and she goes, it's cool. And I'm like, oh, whatever, B. Like, whatever. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is absolutely going nowhere. So we walk in, 
And Big Daryl says to me, yo, who's Shorty? And I'm like, oh, that's my wife. And she goes, yeah, right. <laughs> and, keeps, and keeps it moving. And keeps it moving. So I go one way. She goes the other. We're chilling. It's getting, like, late. The think tank had died on me. I don't have the think tank anymore. I'm living in my parents' house. And the Long Island Railroad that took me to my, my house, because you didn't take the – I was done with the A train. <laughs> the Long Island Railroad, which was close to my parents' house, if you didn't get on, like, the 157 or the midnight train, the next train was, like, 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh. with some dumb shit. So I'm, like, looking at my watch, and I'm like, okay, I got to time this right. I got to time this right. You know, da-da-da-da-da. I'm hanging out. I'm hanging out with Red, yada-da. I'm bumping into Chantel. We're making fun of people. I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny, yada-da-da-da. Red goes into his reggae session, you know, Barrington Levy oh, and, like, yeah. Bouja Bantan and uh -oh. all of that. And I'm like, oh, that's my shit. You could do that? Oh, I can bogle like Ooh. a motherfucker, girl. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> Don't get it fucked up. So I see Chantel, and I'm like, oh, you want to dance? She's like, yeah. So we're dancing. I'm like, damn, she kind of, she's short, but she look good. Like, you know, like she looked really good. So I'm like, all right, let's go kick it over here. And I'm like looking at the time. I'm like, you know, I only got a little bit of time to kick it with her because I got to go. And I'm like, you know, we're talking and she's telling me she's kind of kicking it with K-Rock, MC Lights, DJ, and they're like kind of friends and yada, da 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 And I said to her, like, look, I'm going to go. You mind if I give you a kiss goodnight? And she was like, yeah, mind if you give me a kiss. I don't even know you. I'm like, okay, like all good. So we're talking a little more, talking a little more. I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, yo, I really got to go. I'm like, all right. I said, look, I really had a good time. It was great talking to you. You know, is it okay if I give you a kiss goodnight? And she was like, yeah, okay. And I kissed her, and it was just fireworks. Like, I had never felt like that from a kiss before. So there were these big, <laughs> big fucking weather balloons attached to cinder blocks, some real cool, like, rap party shit, right? Like, right. corny. And I dragged <laughs> drag one over. <laughs> She's like, what the fuck are you doing? And I said, this is what you're going to tell our grandchildren I gave you as my first gift. And I said, I got to go. And she's like, no, you don't have to go. Why don't you just you know, stay at our apartment? And she was like, I was like, work? She's like, relax. We got a sofa. <laughs> <laughs> so I stayed. And the next day, March 19th, was my dad's birthday. So I, I had to run back home. And um, I, I celebrated with my dad real quick. And then I went back. And we have been together ever since, 28 years. And that was, what year was that? That was 80, 89. 89. Yeah. Oh, 89. And this is before, even before the record. Oh, yeah, out. even before. Feels like, like our first before. Quest Love Supreme Love story. We don't really tell those too often no, around here. <laughs> <laughs> the day after Valentine's Day where we just talked about breakups for a good half an hour. Yeah. You know what? I, I will say, as, as a liner note junkie, no... I mean, I I remember like I'm one of them dudes that remembers great liner notes from albums. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know why. This is I got the Cactus CD. Uh, I got it the day before. By this point, I was working at a insurance agent. Like I was. Yeah, yeah. Are we skipping love? Okay, I see where we're going. We're going back to Cactus. Okay. No, no, no. Well, hang on, hang on, hang okay, on. Okay, okay. But you know, it it took me like an hour to get from my insurance job. Back to West Philadelphia. So, you know, I, I get done work at 11 p.m. So I remember, like, you know, I'd listen to these CDs in my disc, man. And I remember reading the liner notes to the Cactus uh, CD. Which was, like, 15 pages long. Like, we yeah. picked everybody and their mother. 
Exactly. It was like, like, we thought public- it was literally our last album. Like, I literally looked at it like, this will never sell. We're like, we'll do a thousand units. I'll be cool in Brooklyn and we'll be dumped. I mean, I never thought we would ever have Why a Why did it sit career. for so but long? I, Why did it sit for two years? Because they didn't think we had a hit. And when ah. I did Step Into the AM, right after we did Step Into the AM, we played it for Russell. He was like, okay, we're going to put the record out. Ah. And then two days later, we got with Prince Paul and then we did Brooklyn Queens and Gas Face. Ah, I see. Okay. All right, so wait, wait, wait. We're okay, going to the love. I didn't my point. Man, fuck love. Oh, right. feet at the wow. bottom. <laughs> this research, we're getting to the heart of things here. <laughs> wanna, all right, but go ahead. All right. I just <laughs> want to get my point out was that, was that I was really seeing Chantel, I'll make an honest woman out of you yet, on, on the liner notes. On the liner notes. Yep. Like, I was like, yo, that's, that's some real shit. Like, I don't know why that's always stuck with me. Nah, most Even, people don't do that. That's some that's some real vulnerable shit to put out there. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. That's I mean, real. my wife and I laugh all the time. We've been together twenty eight years. Three of them good, and um, <laughs> I mean, just I mean, with all you know, listen, being married to an artist is yeah. Tough. I was gonna say how it's tough. It's apropos that he's on our Valentine special. Mm-hmm. So it really is. Yeah, you have probably one of all the only to me successful how. marriages because yeah. as In a cat that just had In a breakup. <laughs> You I cannot... just had a breakup. You just got with your girl. Hey, ho, hey, hey, ho, hey. hey it's ho, it's hey, a long story. Hey, ho, ho. I mean, because the thing is, is that to have true love, like the love you're talking about, or to really grab the brass ring, I feel like you can only worship yeah, he one he, God. Yeah, he only thinks that, he doesn't think it's possible to, like, have a functional love life and... I guess be a, a see, good and artist. the thing is, maybe I'm not being honest about what my goals are. And what is a good woman to you? Mm, just things we need to think what about. What you want to know that for? Anyway, I'm just saying. Here's 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 the here's the short of it. The long and short. Okay. of Okay. Thank you, teachers. There's nothing to teach. Okay. Because the truth of the matter is, I was a fuck up for most of my marriage. I was a young. I was young, dumb. I was running around. I was flirting with chicks in front of my girl. Like I was being mad, disrespectful. But I thought that hey, if I just Come home, I make money, that should be enough. Mm-hmm. And when I thought it wasn't enough, I was like, okay, we'll have kids, and that'll be enough. Oh, yeah. But that wasn't enough. Never. The one thing I have to say, in all honesty, is that the only reason I know unconditional love is because of Chantel. Because I know I didn't give her unconditional love for most of our marriage. I sat my girl down when we first moved into our apartment and I said to her, to her face, you are second to my music. And if you can't live with that, there's the door. I've heard that. I've said that. Yes, I've been on the other end. You I'm, said second. Yes. I was like, I'm like oh. six. <laughs> and, and, and she looked at me and she said, I'll give you two and a half years of my life. And if you don't wife me, I'm out the door. And I said, Fair enough. At what point in the relationship? I'm sorry, was this what year? I'm just curious. We moved in in June of 1989. I married her in November 1991. Wow. Okay. Okay. Made it right so, under the... So, similar to that right. mama contract. Yeah, I know. No, <laughs> totally. It's very true. Thing. It's absolutely true. I'm, and, you know, and I knew, like, there was a lot of turmoil in my life in 91. The band was breaking up. Like, I was really, like, there was a lot of ugliness in my life. And she was the one light. That I was like, yo, I gotta do right by her. Like, that's the one thing I gotta do. Like, I gotta do right. But I didn't even, even though I was raised in a, a family, an insulated family, mother and father, they were neurotic Jews from New York. Like, they they talked by yelling at each other. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you that say was, that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> 
You know what I'm saying? So like, when we would have loving conversations, I'm like, no, this shit is wrong. Like, I gotta go fuck up so that we can start yelling at each other and have a normal relationship. That's what you know. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and we got to a point where she was like, I want to know everything. This was about six months ago. She said, I want to know everything. She goes, I need to know everything. Everything. Everything mean everything that happened in the past. Does she want to know? Everything. Does she really? Do they really want to know? She really wanted to know. I mean, 28 years later. So I wrote it down. Mm. I wrote it down in a letter. Everything. How long was that letter? I ain't lying. Whatever. Y'all some letter right motherfuckers. (laughs) Nine pages. I about to say, boy, that's, yeah. Nine pages. That's that's one hell of a note. It was was tough. And to watch the pain in her face, to see the shit was tough. And... Yet and still, she said, okay, okay. I love you unconditionally, richer or poorer, sickness and in health, to death do us part. I will work on this with you. We will work on this together. We will build, we will rebuild what you destroyed. And if we can't rebuild it, I'm out. You know? She and this was real- six months ago. This was, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, what led what led to that point? Was that a part of your recovery? That something you had no, to do? No, it or? wasn't really just about my recovery. It was just I just needed <laughs> Matthew, a clean slate. It's funny because Matthew's here, and I'm like, damn, Matthew should have left a long time ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, I told Matthew, and, and it was like, damn, I just got to grow the fuck up. Like I'm 49 years old, I got to grow the fuck up. Like this is this is like the woman I've been with like forever, and she put up with me forever and she gave me three amazing kids and she like sacrificed and like and I gotta make the next 50 years as good as you know I gotta make I gotta make it right cause music ain't gonna wipe your ass no music ain't gonna feed you no you're damn sure right music ain't gonna help you when you're in a hospital none of that stuff so you know but music got me the life that we had music got you know music took us around the world music got my kids into private university music got my kids to go on vacations music got me to build echo unlimited clothing music got me to be the head of promotions at def jam music got me the morning show at jlb music got me the white rapper show music got me miss rap supreme music got me nouveau music got me you know all of the things all the blessings that i have is because of hip-hop and she is the biggest blessing and i took advantage of that for most of our marriage and now it's about time to give back See, 50 I, is I about think, return. I think if I if I were a cat that, you know, because, c- again, I'm in the, being in it. We're all in the industry. Right. And you know the challenges and the, and the, and the yeah. obstacles and all that stuff. I don't, I couldn't do that with, not a, not a straight face. Like. What, just to confess not, all your sins? Just letting well, it Well, no, all... no, no. I meant just. Doing dirt and you know covering yeah, yeah. my tracks and no, nah, that shit is exhausting. Emails. It's like it's a, it's a and lot. It's no a one, double life shit. But then on the other side, it's like, does that make me a self saboteur when I know like, all right, well, you know, I know that one, I'm more committed to my career than I am a real sustainable relationship, and I'm more. You know, I know that I might get bored or might fuck up or like I'd rather dead it and not fuck up or be the bad guy than to waste somebody's time. Well, I don't well, I don't think that, you know what I'm saying? I don't think that it's necessarily wrong to be 
you to say, okay, you know, my career comes first, and you know, say, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Honestly, I think it's kind of necessary. Like with music, and I can say this, and I know Font's gonna appreciate this. When you make a great song, the only joy I've ever had greater than making great song is watching my children Planet come into this world. Yep. Mm-hmm. That I mean, and I hate to say that, like I love my wife. I've had amazing moments with my wife. We've been to amazing places. But when I laid the verse for Gas Face, it took one take. Like, I've had moments where that song has, like, transformed people's lives. I had a kid. I was in D.C. I was at um, the Children's Hospital for kids with terminally ill children. And Cactus Album just came out. And we went to make a visit. We were with a station there called PGC. And we made a visit, and this kid came up to me, and he said, black cat is bad luck. Bad guys wear black. Must have been a white guy that started all that. And I looked up, and there's about 10 nurses behind him and his mother, and they're bawling. And I just and he hugged me, and I hugged him, and I'm like, yo, you spit some good rhymes, shorty. And he went, and he went back, and they came over to me, and they said, that's the first words he ever said in his life. Wow. Whoa. Wow. And then I started bawling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I've had moments where, like, we went to London and did Gas Face at a time where there was a, a British, literally almost an overthrow called the poll tax. That was, Parliament was trying to make a tax where they said that every member in a household had to pay a tax. So it really affected poor people because they had large like especially in Brixton and Brighton in, in the hood, mm-hmm. you'd have 10 or 12 people living under a roof. And it would literally be like a year salary just in tax. And there was there was graffiti everywhere. And I mean, I'm talking about like burning streets and people walking. And we're on tour with PE and we do a show in Brixton and we're opening and we're about to do gas face and shut it down. And I turned on I told Rich, cut the music. And I went, Black cat is bad luck. Bad guys wear black. Must have been the same queen that set up the poll tax. Wow. <laughs> Place started going crazy. People ran into the streets. The show was over. The next day, the Daily like third base sets riots in Brixton and yada, and we're like in BBC and like tell us how you. And I mean, oh shit! But the only moments that I can equate to that is watching my like my children come into this world, like watching my wife give birth to our kids. Like music, there's something so powerful about music that defines and goes, especially for a musician. I'm not talking about music lovers. There there are certain levels of music lovers. But creative people that have this gift from the most high that they can take something transcribed and then record it and then spend the hours in the studio to mix it and get it right and master it and then have it touch somebody six months later and then a year later, and then five years later, and then 10 years later, and 20 years later. I mean, that's like, that's like giving, that's like raising a child. You know what I'm saying? And, and, it's, and, and again, it's like one of the things that like really I'm passionate about more than anything is this, what I like to call a social music commune about people that speak the language of music. Mm-hmm. Not different languages or not different creeds or races or just who all speak the language of music, that have a mutual love of music. And about two years ago, my daughter came to me and she said, Dad, you know, when I, when I meet people, whether it's on Tinder or Facebook or, you know, whatever, everybody always asks me, like, what kind of music I listen to? What's the first 
album I bought? Where did I, you know, what show did I go to? And that's the connector. And yeah. that's the connector. And she said, is there, is there an app out there that connects people on their mutual love of music? <laughs> and I was like, huh. Hmm. Wait, huh. So I called my partner, Ben, who is in Silicon Valley, and we spent six months. And there was a couple of iterations. People tried it, and they failed. And I met Matthew, my partner, and we built an app called Adu. And Adu is literally a social music commune that we're getting ready to put into beta that literally connects people on a mutual love of music. So whatever music you have in your, your, your um, mobile device, the app will suck it in and break it down into genres, BPMs, the music that you listen to the most. The algorithm will literally feed that. And then we put out what's called a tuner in a thousand mile radius and somebody else you can connect with. And you can get, we say, you can get in tune with them. Uh. You can tune in or tune out. So when you tune in, it'll say, oh shit, Font got these songs. This is what we have in common, but this is what we don't have in common. Like I got like a J. Cole, like um, Lights Please unreleased joint that uh. you might not even know about. And you'll see it on your device because this is the music that we don't share. Yeah, yeah. And you'll send me a share button. I'll show you the app when we leave. You'll send me a share and I can send you that song. Uh. And we can build and then we have a whole chat about it. We can build and break bread just on music. Wow. And we're doing the beta. We're doing the beta now. Like we're setting the beta. And if you want to get on the beta, go to beta at getadue.com. But it's that language that we all speak. It's the language you've spoken since you're Eight yeah. years old, bro. It's that language of music. And now I feel like if, I've if made I've that had a John who loves Son of Berserk's Change the Style more yeah. than Ooh. I do. Yeah, my yeah, wife right there. Like there I ahead. marry her. Yeah. Like he is just scratching. Yeah, no. Nah, it you, sounded good though. That was nice. That, that, yeah. Yeah. Shut up, like <laughs> No, nah, no, that's real. Cause music, I think the music you're into. I mean, I think that's it's such that a big part how, of who yeah. You, that reflects it's how such you a big part. It's such a big part of who you yeah, are, and, and especially for us who are old enough to say, okay, we we knew Ohio players, but we also knew Talking Heads, mm -hmm. and we also knew Rapture, but we also knew Parliament Funkadelic, and we watched it develop into the Last Poets, or the Last Poets developed into Lord Tim, and Lord Tim developed into Sugar Hill, and Sugar Hill developed, and and we we were. We were privileged enough to be a part of that, to be a part of that that language that we all got to speak. That's even though amazing, people, man. You know what I'm saying? But it's interesting, though, because let me ask the search, because you're a big businessman, of course, publishing in the music industry. So how do you do this? How do you do this app and with the whole royalty thing and sharing? Does that so come that's into a great place? Question. So, no, so just so we're clear, we're not a streaming service. Okay. That's a four-letter word for me. Like, I'm not going to stream music. Like, I'm not getting into <laughs> that shit. The basis is very simple. You already own the music that's on your playlist. Okay. You already own the music that's in your library. Mm -hmm. Not a playlist, your catalog. You already own that. So when you share it with me, I can listen to it or I can buy it myself. Oh, uh, okay. I don't, I don't just have to keep it when you play it for me. I'll get a chance to listen to it, and I say, damn, I like that. And then I can press another button in my, in my tuner. And I can buy the record. But we won't be a streaming service. That's not what we're about. We're about people connecting on music. So another, another thing we have is called the in-sync option where Sam might be walking by me and he'd be listening to Masters of Ceremony, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'm, I happen to listen to the same thing and we'll get a ping and be like, oh, shit, Sam's listening to the same song you're listening to. You oh, care wow. to tune in? And we can tune in and then boom, 
I get his entire library. He gets my entire library. And I say, hey, what's up, man? I'm, I'm Michael. Oh, what's up? I'm Sam. Like, yo, you got that Beastie Boy cookie push shit? Yo, can you share that with me? And then he can share it with me in, in a matter of seconds. And then I can either buy it or I can go to you and say, damn, yo, Amir, you remember this cookie push shit? Like, and I can share it with you. You know well, what see, I mean? That, and it's that language of music. That's, and, that's a positive thing of 2017 that, you know, that's one good positive thing. Of yeah. <laughs> 2017 that's happened. But, Serge, you just named, like, about 5,000 businesses that you did. Like, it was from the TV shows. Because this is what I know of you. Your finger is always on the precipice of greatness before we know it. Because, you know, even when you introduced me personally to Nouveau before it was the big thing. Right. Why? What is it? How do you know? How do you know? I just been. I've, I. You know, it's funny. I've really been blessed in my life to be around trailblazers, and I've really watched them really, really closely. I watched Russell and Lior build Def Jam brick by brick. I watched Mark Echo build Echo Unlimited brick by brick. I watched Russell take Def Jam from its depths and bring it back brick by brick. I watched. You know, so I. I've. I've been able to like learn, churn, and earn based on all the knowledge I got. I've, I've been so blessed to be around these people. I ask a lot of questions. That's why my boys call me Search, because I'm always looking for the answer. I'm always asking questions. I'm always trying to figure out what the next thing is, what the next thing is. And for me, when my daughter, you know, and again, my mother said it to me. She goes, you really won't understand what you created until you have your own children. And she said in a letter, and my daughter, Mayana, created a do. What? That was yeah, her idea. that was her idea. It was her idea. She, she asked him about it. Is... She was a senior. She was going to be a senior at University of oh, Miami. Oh, when she asked in the beginning, Shout like, out how can we meet yeah, okay. <laughs> Shout out to the Canes. Wow. Um, so it's, it's all of that playing itself. It's that born to born. You know what I'm saying? It's that, that recycle. And I, I'm going to say something that might offend you, Amir, but I think the greatest tragedy in your life right now is that you don't have children. And I think that that yeah. to me, but the child that you're going to create is going to be so impassioned by so many things that develop who you are yeah. as a human being. And it's why I've, I've had a friendship for, with you for so long because you are a true, passionate artist. I assure you kids are coming, ladies and gentlemen. I hope so. All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Search. We haven't even got to derelicts of right, dialect. I, I was about we to got get a there. half hour left. I know. Okay, <laughs> that so, was going to be like a normal ass interview, <laughs> Matt. So you were talking about that dark period in your oh, life, and I wanted me? to ask you about that. I know, I know, I yeah, know. All right, we, rapid fire question. Yeah, so, rapid fire. Okay, Go so derelicts dialect. That was an album that I admittedly I was disappointed in. Okay, and what? it was just to me it just and let me let me tell you why. I mean, look and listen to it now. It's like, oh, this shit was dope, but at the time. It just felt really dark. Like it, it just felt, and I don't know. No, you know, I think you, I think you nailed. I think you it just hit felt it. like some of the humor was there. It just felt yeah. like, man, like this is a dark fucking record. Aww, well, I really? think Derelicts of Dialect yeah. was. I think if you think about Problem Child, if you think about Derelicts of Dialect, yo, it was a dark period for us. I mean, and the album cover of us as homeless uh-huh. old men, like, yeah, it was really dark. I remember the funny thing is, I remember the head of retail at Sony at the time. We had just turned into Sony. Guy said to me, he goes, yo. We can't. This can't be the album cover. It's gonna turn off impulse buyers. I'm like, I love that album cover. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, this is too dark. He's like, you got a record called Pop Goes the Weasel, and you popping the weasels and all of that, and it's this dark <laughs> shit. That record went gold in 15 days. On the 16th day, I was like, yo, what's going on with those impulse buyers, cocksucker? <laughs> it's called fans, bitch. Look into it. <laughs> um, but it was a dark, and and I was in a dark place, and Pete, we, we were in a dark place in our partnership. And I'm just going to keep it 100. Pete and I just, like you said, we were just like, we were An put together. We, yeah, we were arranged marriage. And on, by the second album, what we wanted was different. Significantly what did you want different. And what did he want? So for me, I wanted, I wanted a New York street record. Like, I was already, like, fucking with Nas and fucking with OC. And, like, I wanted, like, I wanted to do that. Like, Mike Techniques. And, like, that was the album oh, wow. I wanted to make. Ladies and gentlemen. Right. <sighs> the next song. Right. You know, and Al's ABCs. And, like, that was, like. I love that shit. Yeah. My me, joke was me, Three Strikes 5,000. That, that was my shit, right. too. Three Strikes 5,000 And even Daddy Rich in Atlanta, 1210. Yeah. Yes. Like, you know what I'm saying? Here like, that was. Yeah. Yo, but. but Pete really was like making these dark, archaic, like alternative samples, and like because I was already with my wife. So he was, was problem child. 
He was the problem child. See, because uh, I, dog, Godzilla is my shit. Yeah. Like, that was my, that was, why was that not a single? I'll tell you why. Because I felt like y'all could have got white rap fans. No, because we fell apart. Because we fell apart. When we went out with Pop Goes the Weasel, when we went out with that tour, I know we got 30 minutes. And please tell me how y'all got, what's his name in the video, to play Vanilla Ice. Oh, Rollins, Henry Rollins. How did you get Henry Rollins to play? Jesse Himmelman, a.k.a. Jesse Dillon. Was best friends. Jesse Dillon directed that yes. video. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's crazy. So, so um, Bob Dylan's son. Right, but he wasn't going by Dylan. He was going by Jesse Himmelman right. because so he, he didn't get a want chance. Right. 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 So, um, but he directed the video. So, I was in a very different place in 1991. I I didn't want to be the kid who is freestyling with Shock G and Tupac in the in the lobby till four o'clock in the morning. Like, I didn't want to be the one who was running around being a clown in his underwear, you know, laughing, you know, and all of that shit. Like, I wanted to have my wife on the road. Like, I had promised her, like, I would take her to see the world. So I was like, we all made decisions, like, who you want to have on the road? So Pete was like, yo, I want my man Shamik. And Rich said, I want this person. I said, yo, I want Chantel. And they were like, huh. huh. Fun crusher. Wife's on the road. <laughs> yeah. Fun crusher. Yeah, yeah. But Chantel, like, but Chantel, like, you got it. She's a fucking G. Like she told all of them to the fate to their face. Like, I don't give a fuck about your girls. Fuck who you want to fuck. As long as my man is straight, I'm good. She would like set up towels and water for us on the side of the stage. She didn't have to do that shit. She would do it. She made friendship bracelets with the girls and like she she just did her shit. Like she wasn't getting in anybody's way. And Pete was doing his dirt and like we weren't getting in the way. And then one night in St. Louis, like he decides that he wants to just. Come fuck some chicks in the back of the bus. And we're like, okay, whatever, but the bus drivers can only drive for a certain amount of time a night um, before you, they have to pull over. And we had a place, we had some place to go. And where we did the show in St. Louis was an hour away from the venue. So it would have taken us, and he wanted to take them back because th- their car was back at the venue. Right. I was like, yo, get them tricks off the fucking bus, man. Give them a cab fare, right? Like, get, them, get, them, get these hoes off the bus, man. It's time to go. And I went into my bunk, and what happened was Pete got off the bus, and he flew back to New York. Wow. In the so, middle, is in the middle of the tour. Right, right in the middle of the tour. Wow. So wow. we pull into South Carolina. We pull Wait, into, who's your tour manager? Uh, a guy named Mark Pearson. So he goes back to New York. I don't notice. We're going over Friday's receipts, and I see that he took three days of per diem when he wasn't on the road. And typically what we would do is we would give that to the dancers, you know, or give it to our crew, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, whatever. So I said to, I said to Mark, I said, Mark, you know, why'd you give him the per diem? He goes, yo, just go talk to Pete. He's on some shit. So I go to the room, and I see my two dancers who are my boys, like grew up with me and GYP with, like, Subrock and KMD, like my man Ahmed and Otis, like my people. They're sitting around Pete. And I'm like, Pete, why'd you take per diem for three days on the road? You know, you know, we give that to the dancers. And he's on the phone. And he goes, well, if your bitch wasn't on the road, I wouldn't have to go home. Oh, no. And I said, what'd you just say? He said, you heard me. If your bitch wasn't on. I said, yeah, you need to come out here and catch this ass whooping real quick. <laughs> he's like, what are you going to do, slap me? I said, no, you, you look like a grown-ass man. I'm going to beat your fucking ass. <laughs> right? Damn. So he's not coming out. He's and what what happens is he's on the phone with Lior, okay. and Lior and they're hearing this. So I call Lior, and at the time our booking agent Lee Stolman was working at Rush, and I said, "Look, how many weeks we got in um, deposits on the tour?" He said, "Another two weeks." And we already we had taken 
Cypress on the road. Cypress was our opening act. Ah, wow. So okay. like we're like I so I said to Lee, I said, look, we got to come off the road and regroup. Don't take any more deposits on this tour. And right now, like. Pop Goes Weasel is number two in the country. It's like number two pop record in the country. Yeah. Like we're selling out like 10,000, 12,000 seat arenas. Like we're doing our thing. I'm like, look, we need to regroup. We need to come off this tour. We need to come off this road and regroup. So the tour was going towards New York. We, we land in Philly. It's, a, it's the last night of what I think is the last show. I've been traveling behind the tour bus in a car, in a rental car with my girl, like not even going near them. At the Philly show, Pete's girlfriend, Daddy Rich's girlfriend, they those guys told their girlfriends that my girl was fucking up the relationship in the group. They tried to jump my wife uh-uh. behind on the Are side of the stage. Wait, wh- she, what? <laughs> yeah. Pete's girl and this girl Monet, who's Rich's girl, they tried to jump my girl. Like, I'm, like, watching this from the side of Like, I'm, like, so I'm not even, like, I'll do my verse and get off stage and, like, protect my girl. Like, that was it. I'm on my way home. I'm I'm on my way home. I'm on my way home. And I said, yo, I said, this shit is crazy. I'm on, I'm literally on the phone. And I'm saying to Lior, like, Lior, this shit is crazy. Like, they just try to jump my girl and yada da da da. And he goes, We booked another three weeks. And I said, Ah, damn. And I said, You just killed the group. I said, You just killed the group because at the end of these three weeks, I'm done. So those three weeks, I would literally get on stage and diss Pete in front of our crowds. Like, instead of Pete, tell him, manifest this, like uh-huh. in words of wisdom, I'd say, yo, bitch, tell him. Mm. Oh, wow. And I would come off stage when he would rhyme, and when he was finished, I'd come on stage and do my verse, and then leave the stage. <laughs> and the audience was none the wiser. They... No, no, no. They were, oh, they were, oh, they they were MTV was Kurt Loder, yo, problems with third base, got the number one record in the country, and the great group is falling apart. And I basically told, I told, um, Leor. I told Leor and Russell, like, I'm done. And my wife is like, you know, is this really what you want? And I said, yeah. And I said, in fact, I said, let's go get married. <laughs> let's go get married. Fuck them. Let's get married. Like, I'm ready. And she's like, well, I've been ready. <laughs> so we got our blood work. We got our blood work the one day. We went to Queens County. Um, we went to Queens County, caught, went, got married. And I, I headed out to L.A. to live with my man, Epic from Wolf and Epic. Oh, did, Wolf and Epic. Uh, right. The, the, the BBD, yeah. Right. Here that, it comes. Yeah, that's exactly that's right. That's how. Uh, right. I have so many questions about Return of the Product. All yeah. right, go ahead, go so, ahead. So I go to live with them. I start recording Return of the Product. I'm with Wolf and Epic. We're doing Hard But True. Here it comes. Like, all of that shit. I'm in L.A. just, like, chilling. Like, I'm chilling. Like, me and my wife, we're just chilling. I don't even want to go back to New York. I got a house there. I'm not even in there. Like, I'm paying bills, like, cross-country, yada, yada, yada. Russell says, yo, you got to come home. This is, this is enough. It's, it's enough. You got to come home. I come home. I go to see him. He had that apartment, Cher's old apartment on West 4th Street. Mm-hmm. I go upstairs. He's trying to yell at me. I'm like, I grab the tap player. I put it in his dad machine. I play Here It Comes. He, he starts hearing Here It Comes, and he starts bouncing on his bed like this. <laughs> oh, my God. We got to hit. We got to hit. Oh, my God. We got to hit. Okay, you could do the solo record. And that's how the solo record happened. Wow, and the thing but was, that, but, but that was a dark. But that was the yeah. dark place, and it started with the darkness of the recording of the album. It started with you know Pete being like disillusioned and me being disillusioned with the partnership. It started with a lot of that, and and the, really the relationship started with he challenged me. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't really feel like I was making great records as a solo artist when I was with Sam Sever. Like, as soon as I heard Words of Wisdom, I was like, oh, I got to set my fucking game up. Hard as hard as Chinese arithmetic? Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't thinking no shit like that. Like, I, I got I to gotta step my game up. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's what I did. Like, he challenged me. I wasn't challenged. On derelicts. On derelicts. Yeah, yeah, it just didn't sound like, it sounded like whatever fun or passion It was, was gone. There. Yeah, no, you're just, absolutely right. It I was, was like, man, this is something and it, like and it missing. Sucked, yo, and it's, it sucked the life, that album sucked the life out of me in more ways than one. And it also, there was a transition in our audience that sucked the life out of me. That was my next question, because I'm like, if y'all are number two of Pop Goes the Weasel, is that What's audience? the audience looking like? Yeah, like, what are yeah, they? I saw y'all on, like, Club MTV and... <laughs> Yo, and, and you know what's funny about Club MTV? I wouldn't say anything to Julie Brown because I didn't respect her. So she would put the mic in front of me and I just kept my <laughs> mouth closed. And then she would go to Pete. And Pete would talk and then she'd ask me a question and I kept my mouth closed. I didn't want to be there. Like, me, I literally, Okay, let me ask. Yeah, go ahead. Because the thing is, there's something happening with the transition of hip-hop between 89 and 94. And what it is is... Like, by the time we arrive in 94, it's cool to embrace your alternative audience. Absolutely. And the, Absolutely. New, the new face of what hip-hop's going to be for the next gazillion years. But there was, but also there was a so big... much slack that, you know, That's the source exactly was given Cypress say. Hill for, like, who are these white boys in the audience y'all attracted? And, like, even yeah. the source didn't understand right. what was going on. So you guys were a part of... You're seeing the audience literally change, and it doesn't look like the Latin Quarter no more. No, it not even doesn't look like the Latin Quarter. We, I mean, we went from having, like, literally on Pop Goes the Weasel, we would have, like, shows at the Palladium in L.A. where it's, like, all black crowds to doing Roanoke, Virginia, and college kids jumping on our stage and hugging our dancers and flying into the audience and, like, <laughs> surfing. Like, I'll never forget the first time that happened. Our dancer, Ahmed, thought somebody was ch- rushing him and, like, body slammed a dude to the ground. And he was like, and didn't yeah! understand. Yeah. Just, and jumped and just stopped, stage dived. And we're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, we're going to, like, pop stations and we're telling pop stations, like, you realize we're dissing you on this record. <laughs> like, you do realize we're dissing yeah, pop radio the because irony of- you're not playing De La Soul. You're not playing A Tribe Called Quest. You're playing Hammer and Vanilla Wafer. Like, you're playing bullshit. Like, you should be playing Big Daddy Kane. You should be playing Queen Latifah. You should be playing Tribe. You should be playing P.E. Like, that's real hip-hop. And they're like, <laughs> now CC Music Factory. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, fuck, like, what? who am I talking to? Like, I don't even know these people. And again, going back to the whole thing, I have to protect hip hop. But I'm at a point where I don't even know what hip hop is when I'm looking at these dudes. Yeah. I don't even know what. I'm, Who produced Pop Goes the Weasel? Uh, SD50s. Stimulated, yeah, stimulated dummies. dummies. So, Dante. like at the time, is this like almost like a fight for your right thing where it's like, okay, so. No, before, I always thought they, that shit was dope. Like, I thought that sample was dope. It, no, I, it is dope. But you didn't realize that it might come to bite you in the ass. No. Not at and all. And turn you into the very thing not, that you were ridiculing. No, yeah. right. No, no, not at all. What we say, hip hop got turned into hip hop. The second a record was number one, one on the, the pop, pop charts. Chart. But don't skid on the heart that got to start in the ghetto. Let no one forget about the hard part. Now in 91, we got a new band, a new brand, looking like the same old clan, same old thieves that ski. So we got to make sure that real rappers got to endure. And I'm looking at these white boys that are like, yeah. And I'm like, you don't even know who the fuck I'm talking, talking about. about. <laughs> Same thing with Public you know I mean? Enemy, too. Yeah. yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? But at least Public Enemy, they were smart enough to educate the people. Like, Chuck would look at these people and say, you are not my enemy, but here's why you were my enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, he would have that conversation. Like, we weren't having a conversation. We were like, you guys look like dicks. Like, we don't look nothing <laughs> like you. Like, we are nothing so you like you. you hated the frat boy fra- oh, I hated those kids. And you know what? A lot of those guys now, they come up to me and they're like CEOs of companies and like, dude, we used to rock you in, you know, the frat. And I'm like, yes, yes, no. let's do business. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. And it's really funny. Like, now I'm, I'm glad you respect me. Like, I need I need money for a do. We're doing this VC fund and, like, yeah. we need to raise money. Here's my man Matthew. Like, yo, let's, let's raise this capital because you were a frat boy who, like, you know, Pop Goes the Weasel. So like you know that what pop goes the weasel crowd when y'all did what would the response be like when y'all did like a Brooklyn Queens or like they loved it they, they loved they would it. fuck with you know, that too yeah they would fuck with it but for me like as soon as shit was done like the greatest thing that happened to me was my solo album because Nas came into my life you know what I mean and OC was already in my life and like that brought me back home like even in L A I was twisted. Like in LA, I'm making these happy, hard but true. I'm talking about Nora, you know, Zora Neale, and I'm talking about like how hard it is to be truthful to who you are. And I'm like, and I'm letting my man Reef and I'm letting my man Maddie see here, and they're like, "Yo, B, you got to get back to the street. Like, here's some beats. Like, go, go, listen." Yeah. And like, that's when I made, you know, uh, back to back the grill to the again. Who produced yeah. back to the grill? T Ray. Ah, oh, T Ray from Double X Five. Right. Ah, oh, T Ray. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. So, um. So yeah, so and then you know, and then that brought me back, like in meeting Nas and doing all of that. That, Wait, that brought me out. back. How'd you know that, T Ray? Oh, I had the Double X Posse album. Oh, motherfucker! I had that album. Right, right, not right. gonna be able to do it. All right, can't be doing it. I thought I was knocking on the edge of the door when I first. Heard <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad y'all did the door. Can't do it. Knocking on the edge of the door. Can't do it. So go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. So I mean, so that was what really brought me back. Is like. When Nas came into the studio with Reef and Stretch and was like, yo, I need help. Like, I was like, this is Hashem. This is the most high, like, bringing me back to where I need to be, helping a Queens MC and, like, doing what I should be doing, which is protecting artists. You know what I mean? So the baseball card stuff, what was that with Pete? So the, the other thing, well, so Pete has been in some interesting situations post-third base. One of the things. First was his solo album, but it was, uh. Kick was kick dust, Bobo. Dust, dust the dust. dust. That was the, right. So, I remember Dust the Dust. I remember that was the first time I remember reading an exec actually say that they were worried about how a record was gonna sell. Mm-hmm. And that I was like, damn, they just yeah. Russell, he was like, Yeah, we don't know how this is gonna do. I'm like, well, damn, so much for confidence. Even 14 they, shots of the dome. <laughs> right. It can't be the right, right, right. But, but at least 14 shots went platinum. I mean, it's still, right. you know, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah. Pete sold 14,000 records on that. Damn. I sold 450,000. Like, I think right now, Return to Products at like 750,000. Okay. And Pete's at like 14,000. Damn. So, um. I was two of them. Good for you. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad for you. Because uh, I don't have to. I'm loyal. Anyway. <laughs> no, no, no. But anyway, but, but, so Pete was always in love with baseball. He would always like go hunting for like rare artifacts of baseball, baseball artifacts, cards, gloves like that's been his passion for a long time i guess what i had heard and if you really want to see the whole thing you have to google peter nash uh there's there's a five thousand word essay that sports illustrated did on it so supposedly from what i understand is that pete got involved in some counterfeit signatures and counterfeit baseball card collecting and he basically sold them to a very high 
and well-known, like the Jay-Z of collecting, this guy Barry Lifson. Uh. And he gave, and Barry Lifson gave him loans of up to $875,000 against this against uh, the, the phony the cards. Phony cards. Oh, and then geez. he told Pete that he had like a certain amount of time to pay. Pete wouldn't pay. And then he had the stuff like insured or try to, you know, and then they found out it was worthless. So Pete, Damn. I think, <laughs> I think Pete has a warrant. I don't know what's going on. I think there's some warrants for Jersey and New York that is he's he got still warrants. on the run? I, I know he doesn't have a cell phone. Like I know, I know that to get in touch with him, there's one number that you can call on like a Wednesday. And it's somebody's office. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah, it's 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 something. But I mean, Pete is definitely trying to fix it. Like he's trying to like point out other scams. Like I think he's trying. His Twitter thing is holes of shame. Like he's trying to like point out other counterfeiters now, so that people don't fall into the same trap. He's claiming that he didn't know. Okay. But I've heard that that's not accurate. Yeah. That's not accurate. Damn. And and Daddy Rich. Look, the bottom line is this. I will never go on stage with third base ever again. It's, it's just done. I tried in 2013 as a favor to a friend. We did a show at SRB in Brooklyn okay. as a favor. Um, and we got on stage, and I had a good time, but I was so – I already have a tremor as it is from, like, medication that I take, but I was on stage literally like this, mm. like couldn't control it. Um, and it was nervous energy and it was excitement. It was a lot of different things that my father's watching. And I'm like, I'm just like shaking. And, um, but whatever, for whatever reason, we got a whole bunch of dates after that. Oh, wow. So then we do another date and, um, a festival in Indiana. And my wife is looking at me like, oh God, like, I don't really want this life again. Like, and I don't want this. So she says to me, she, you know, she finally said, because I said to her, I was like, look, they're putting together a European tour, like 30 oh, dates. Like, and she's like, look, if you do that, like, you might as well just divorce me. I don't want that life. So I said to our road manager at the time, my man Mikey Palms, I was like, yo, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not doing any more dates. And he said, what do you mean? I said, what do you mean? What do I mean? I just told you. He goes, I just advanced Pete. 10 shows because uh, he told me you were doing the shows. Uh, and I said, yo, I, I said, first of all, I never said I was doing those shows as A. And B, I feel bad for those promoters, but I ain't got nothing to do with that. My name's Paul. That's between y'all. Like, I ain't got nothing to do with it. And moreover, don't ever call me about that again. Don't ever call me about a show again. So this past New Year's, we got an offer for $100,000 to do one night in Pittsburgh for New Year's Eve. Mm. And I said, no, not going to happen. Just not going to happen. And Daddy Rich, with his 60 followers, went on a diatribe talking about <laughs> how I try to fuck his girl, how I used to fuck prostitutes on the road, that I gave my wife an STD, oh, a lot of that. Wow. Like, this is on Twitter? On this Twitter. Is, see, we oh. wouldn't have even known if you wouldn't have repeated it. Right. Petty exactly. levels. Uh, yeah. Petty so, levels. Petty right. levels. So <laughs> I just literally just said, I wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. Never talk to me again. Never see me, you know. So it's... That dude is literally dead, dead to, to me. You. Yeah, he's Damn, dead to you. Damn, man. He's dead to me. Well, yep. no, search. No, 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 I, I'm giving you. No. <laughs> I'm very blessed. I'm, we're, we're doing our wrap up with you. Normally, we do it once once our guest is out. But, um, Fonte, what did you learn, man? Uh, man, uh, man, 
Everything. I learned that, uh, yeah, God, this has been like fucking hip-hop nerd trivia. Uh, nah, man, I learned that uh, Search is very much still, you know, in tune, you know, to the music, to the culture. Um, he is very much, um, I, I didn't know that you had records prior to the Cactus. That was that was my first time hearing those records. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's funny, we have a connection, Dan Charnas. Of course. He, uh, I do all the rhymes for the break. Yes. And there is a line uh there's I play a character, I play like this yeah, military. And you did the third baseline. I do it. Yeah. And so he said, Man, I gotta call search about this. And I was like, Work. Cause I mean, cause this is our first yeah. time I And I was like, man. And so he hit me back. He was like, Yo, search was super cool about it. He was Oh, I so I, I was, think because I'm such a big fan of yours. That first oh, album, man. brother, thank and just you, man. everything you've done. I mean, I'm just a huge fan. So thank you so thank much. Thank you what man. you've done to the contribute to hip hop and the culture and just amazing. To I, meet well, you I face grew to up face. listening to you. Like I said, I was I was ten when Cactus dropped. I was eleven when Derelicts dropped. So I grew up on it. It's just it's just great just to sit here and just break bread with you, brother. Thank, Thank you for you, all brother. that you've Thank done, you. man. I'm Pay Bill. Did you learn anything? Man, white Jews and hip hop, man. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't even do the you pound. Know those he went for the pound. Most of this show is like Black History Month. It's like Black NPR, and then it's like Bill. What's the white perspective? <laughs> which I which I enjoy giving, and I'm happy to do so. However, I feel like today maybe the tables were turning a little bit, and I fucking thank you for that. It's balanced. Fuck, yes, it's Bill, Bill, you are more than welcome. Thank Bill, you Bill. very much. It is balanced. Sugar Steve. Did you? Baruch Atah. Yeah. <laughs> the chanting was gold. Yeah. <laughs> that's the whole part two with you is going to be all chanting, three hours of chanting. <laughs> you can do my Torah portion right now. I yep. can knock that shit out right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now you're scared. That was my hot Torah portion, too. Metzora, oh. dude. That's so crazy, right? Part two in Orlando. <laughs> See you there. I think you're out Jewishing Bill and Steve. It's weird. Well, I know. He's pretty right? good. They, I mean, he could, y'all haven't started freestyling well, yet or nothing. Anyway. So for Laia. Um, I learned that Search should write two books. Um, one, of course, on business and how to diversify. And the other on, I don't know, I just feel like I never knew Search's story about how you became engulfed in the culture. And it was such an education and a long education. I know every white person can't do this, but maybe we can just put it in a book and consolidate. Then we can just, it would be a different world, I I'll feel te- like. I'll tell you, we, we're going to have a great TV show hopefully coming out soon. And that will tell a lot of great stories. Okay. Right. They call me Search, coming soon. Watch and the app, the app though we got uh, Adu. And Adu, yeah. Adu. And if you want to be part of the beta, go to get, go to beta at getadu g e t a d u e dot com. Right, Matthew? Thanks. Okay. Oh. Uh, yeah, yo. Did you learn yeah, anything? I just want to say one more thing. Beside yes. every strong uh, Jewish man is a strong black woman. Shout That's out to exact, Chantel. Absolutely okay. right. Thank I used you. to end my show. Every radio show. <laughs> Bill That's and Steve are looking at true. each other. <laughs> That's okay. We're going to go with the strong on ones, one. Bill. Oh, well, hey. Oh! 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 That's the sound of getting punched, and that's the sound of getting shot. That's what I learned today. Yo, come on. Yeah, yo, you got anything? Well, Search, I thank you very much. And this is Quest Love Supreme.
Much Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.